This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome in to episode number 146 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant, for another Sunday here in January. And Nick, we have a ton to talk about this week. I mean, like that's <laughs> uh, it, it's weird. There's just some weeks where, you know, you're almost trying to buy a storyline. Uh, I think about like the middle of the summer sometimes. And then there's other weeks like this week where you're like, what can we offload into the following week? It's just been that crazy. Uh, to start the show, we're going to obviously talk about the Ivan Provorov stuff. Bruce Boudreaux is going to be in there as well too. the Canucks uh, doing Canuck things. And I, I feel bad for the guy. So we're going to touch on that. Uh, some really key injuries, some bankruptcy that we're going to talk about. And that's what, that's the open to the show. People, we're not even going to get to the main portion of the show till, Obviously, a little bit later, we'll cruise through uh, men's hockey roundup in the NCAA. A bit more subdued week, all things considered, but uh, that's not saying much this year. Then the NCHC, St. Cloud did exactly what they had to do on the men's side. So we'll talk about that and implications uh, related to the pairwise there. And then the women uh, had a good showing yesterday against Ohio State, picked up a crucial point uh, as they move forward into next weekend, obviously. So we'll touch on them. And then the Minnesota Wild had a... Yeah, not great. Uh, not great week, especially compared to those around them, uh, all things considered. So we'll talk about them. And then our extra ice session, you're not going to want to miss this one. We have a trio of topics that I think are going to be really interesting. First, St. Thomas, of course, their new arena. We're going to talk about that. Uh, and really, where does the Herbrooks National Hockey Center rank in the NCHC? And kind of talking about what the future is like for St. Cloud there. Um, and really, the NCHC in general, a really interesting article coming out of Miami and the Red Hawks talking about Arizona. Arizona State and changes potentially to the league as well. So uh, mm-hmm. we'll, we're going to talk about all of that. It's going to be a pretty juicy extra ice session, I think, as well, too. So before we get there, we start, as always, with the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup and Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. So let's get into the fun stuff, right? So I think we need to start with the Ivan Provorov situation. Uh, yeah. So for those who may have missed it, I, I I don't know how you would if you're a hockey fan, but uh, essentially Ivan Provorov defenseman for the Philadelphia Flyers uh, did not essentially partake in warmups. And uh, 
essentially why did he do that? Well, it was uh, Pride Night for Philadelphia, and uh, the players were wearing a commemorative Pride Night warm-ups jersey that uh, uh, he did not it want to participate in. Be- beautiful jersey, by the way. Yeah. Black jersey with the, the rainbow-colored numbers. Like, I thought, you know, regardless of the whole Pride Night, you know, piece of it, which, you know, I'm all for it, that sort of thing. I'm nothing against that. Um, like, I would wear that anyway. Like, I think it's that cool. Like, it's not rare for me to say in general that I would want a rainbow <laughs> right. as part of my attire. And they just, they looked that good. They looked really clean, I thought. So, so uh, let's just say that people picked up on Provorov not skating in warmups and he was asked about it and uh, essentially gave um, a religious reason. Um, and he's been uh, taking a lot of flack for it, uh, for lack yeah. of a better term, uh, Noah. So Yeah, he's uh, Russian Orthodox, which uh, his statement essentially was talking about how, you know, I respect people's choices. Um, and then John Tortorella talked, kind of backed up and said, uh, the organization has released a statement, you know, we're not going to, you know, punish him. We didn't think about sitting him for the game, that sort of thing. And we kind of talked about how, this is a really rare situation because the only other time that I could think that this would happen where you would miss warmups and then play in an actual game would be if you were under the weather that day and you had an mm-hmm. illness where you're trying to conserve every ounce of energy you possibly could uh, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Other than that, it usually goes the other way around where guys warm up and then they don't play because of injury or they're not ready to go for whatever reason. So I, a lot of people obviously were clued into that very quickly. And I think what it really comes down to, uh, regardless of your of your viewpoint on LGBTQ plus, uh, right. uh, it, it goes back to this principle. And the Steve Dangle podcast obviously kind of alluded to this too very well. Is that saying you respect people's choices, and that and then not showing them like welcoming and respect are two different things. Mm-hmm. You know, saying you you respect people as LGBTQ, even if you don't agree with it, which that's fine. You don't have to agree. You don't have to, you know, for example, uh, like Nick, you and I have talked about this. I'm first of all, uh, speaking hypothetically here, because I'm very in support of LGBTQ, you know, I I advocate like anybody else, obviously, I'm going into nursing. So it's pretty hard to not be supportive of most people that walk through the door, right? Right. Um, I'm, for example, I'm not gay myself. Um, I know that might shock you, Nick, but I'm not. And, uh, (laughs) and, but at the same time, I, I don't look at that as saying because I'm not gay, like, you know, I'm not in support of this. But for Provorov, he goes, I'm not gay and I don't like their actions in general for people who are gay. Like, that's the difference right there. Mm -hmm. And because of that, he's saying he respects people's decisions. It's not in the same light. He And there was a couple of people on Twitter that outlined it very well that basically pointed out, no, it's not about you believing or saying it's appropriate to be gay or not. It's saying, because you are different than me, I still welcome you into this place. That being the Philadelphia Flyers organization, that being an NHL hockey game, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know, man, like it's, it's so messed up to me where, you know, again, the Steve Dangle podcast talked about, you know, everything is team based in hockey and, you know, mm-hmm. for Provorov to not even take warmups and not show support of his team, how hard is it, even if you don't necessarily agree with something, to throw on a warm-up jersey for 20 minutes? That's different colors. Or they said, if you really want to make a statement, and not that they were condoning this, but if you really want to make a statement, 
wear your regular warm-up jersey in warm-ups if you're not really about it, which probably would have caused even more of a fuss. But it's like, right. you know, people are <laughs> defending him because they said, oh, you know, he didn't want to take warm-ups. That's respectful. That's his choice, that sort of thing. Well, then, one, don't play him if that's his choice because that's a team – warm-ups are a team-based activity. And number two – Maybe this is going on in a reach here, and this is my personal opinion, so take it with a grain of salt. But I honestly feel like some of the people that say, oh, you know, Provorov has the right to not warm up and that sort of thing are the same people that were talking about people kneeling at the national anthem and saying that mm -hmm. wasn't acceptable. You know what I mean? It's like if you're gonna if you're gonna pick one line in the sand, you can't just pick and choose based on the narrative that you want to create based on your viewpoint in the world. Yeah, and um, and the Flyers effed it up. The NHL PR effed it up the it. next day. Um, this like it, it it turned what could have been a real nothing burger and a really great night. Like Kevin Hayes had a hat trick. It, it was it was a great night otherwise. Uh, but what's everybody all talking about? So it's 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 funny how we're in this position, and I say funny, no one not because it is funny, but it's funny how the NHL keeps tripping over itself in situations like these yeah. because they've been pushing this stance. And uh, if you ask Alan Walsh, uh, he would say, huh, "No, they're really bad at this because they are right. um, about trying to project the league as inclusive and we're supportive of multiple fronts." But then situations like these happen, and granted, is the NHL probably prepared for this no and that's the problem right is that you know they don't have if you want to call it a backup plan i mean sure i mean let's just call it what it is right you're probably about, not expecting a player to do this how about a backbone How's right that? and to take a stance right and that's the thing is you know they essentially try to walk around on eggshells and you know around the bush and that's not what if you're the league and you're trying to say we support these uh, these efforts to be inclusive and then you put out a response like that as you mentioned no backbone um, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth and you're no more or less wrong in the situation than Provorov himself right this again this might be overreaching I'm trying to think of comparables here um and maybe the best one I can come up with and this is probably a, a bit of a reach but bear with me here we talked about saying you respect people's decisions but then your actions don't line up with that you know mm -hmm. frame of thinking where you're welcoming it almost makes me think of somebody who's like a white supremacist supremacist saying you respect people who aren't white but it's like no your actions are not welcoming to those who don't fit the same no. mold as you kind of thing you know what i mean like i know that's an extreme example but maybe that's what we need to but it's smoke and mirrors right no and that yeah. is you know in today's society we have and <laughs> this could go down a very deep rabbit hole, yeah. but effectively what the big issue we have is because of social media and because of this is that before that people could say it, it wasn't recorded. It wasn't something where then they could stand up and deny it. And then no one right. would have like any sort of way to be like, no, you did say that. Well, now there's videos of stuff where people would up, like you said, go out and say they say, but then you would turn around and someone's recording them and then they're acting in the exact opposite of what they said, right? So yeah. as a society, I think we we have to we have to be better. We just have to be better at understanding mm -hmm. that not only do our words, but more importantly, our actions have consequences. And more importantly, sometimes inaction, right? And more so that you gotta be consistent at the yeah. end of the day. And at this in this juncture, unfortunately, Provorap was inconsistent 
even worse, the NHL was inconsistent. The Philadelphia Flyers were inconsistent. So at the end of it, um, on a theme night, when you're trying to welcome different, I don't want to say groups of people, but you're trying to show support for folks who have been. Yeah, a, a, the, a demographic who has historically been shamed and put yes. down by society. Mm-hmm. To say, no, please, you know, we support you. Come in and have fun at a hockey game. Yeah. Um, all fronts failed miserably. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, it, it's a messy situation. And, and I think that, you know, you talked about social media too. The other thing that in some ways social media is good for um, is the fact that, like you mentioned back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, when people were living in their own bubbles, they had their viewpoints and nobody really challenged them mm-hmm. uh, at times. Now you at least have the opportunity to challenge that sort of thing, uh, you know, in Provorov's case, for example. But yeah, what a messy situation. Um, you know, good on the Flyers for trying to have a Pride Night. I think in principle, like Scott Lott and JVR, for example, two guys very supportive, put in a lot of hard work and that kind of got really overshadowed by all of this. Really so it really had the opportunity all things aside besides the Provorov piece was a really great night for the Philadelphia organization. The wild will see them this Thursday, by the way, at home um, at the XL, but uh, yeah, not a great look. Uh, all no. things considered for the national hockey league and one of their uh, teams that everyone loves to hate in general. So it really <laughs> didn't right. help them anymore. So no, uh, speaking of looking things, I think we need to move forward here, Noah. Um, well, these look familiar because I'm old, uh, the new All-Star Game uniforms. Um, I shouldn't say new because I'm trying to remember the year, but these are essentially replicas of, was it 98 or 97? Yeah, yeah it's late 90s, mid to late yeah. 90s. Um, of the All-Star Game. So um, kind of cool, actually. I really like these, a nice throwback to uh, a late 90s All-Star yeah. Game. A lot um, of people don't like them, um, which is interesting. Uh, they don't what, like... Hockey fans are like something that's, you know, retro, you don't say. Well, they don't like it because <laughs> it's... They're, rever- they're reverse retros of what they used to be. Pretty so um, the, the whole cotton candy color thing, I think people are really thrown off by that sort of thing. Um, and a lot of people are talking about, oh, well, the real classics, my real retro was, you know, the old Prince of Wales, Prince Campbell, you know, the, the orange and whatever jersey, which don't get me wrong, those look sick. They're, they're beautiful. Um, I don't so think... Wait, gonna- so, so wait a second. The, the, the same folks who grew up in the 90s and did they not understand the 90s color schemes back in the day? I mean, I, is this really that far off of what yeah, that entire decade was about? Yeah, especially especially <laughs> the, the black jersey. I think that was yeah. like quintessential 90s right there. It was. Um, all, I, I don't know what they wanted. Maybe they wanted the old uh, um, purple and teal styrofoam cups, the coffee cups Probably. that you get. <laughs> That you put your cappuccino in at the gas station every morning that I've been around since it's the uh, it's the it's the Sonic designed all star yeah. game yeah yeah. yeah um yeah I I think they're okay and I think it's funny because then people were like well we missed the old the red and greens or the reds and blues you know of the mid two thousands and that sort of thing and other people oh we missed the old orange and blacks from the nineteen eighties and seventies and like I don't disagree with any of those takes but like the NHL is not going to have the same all-star game Jersey year in and year out. Like should, should they reproduce jerseys maybe for multiple years if it's a good design? Yeah, maybe. But like, like I said, I don't think they're thrilling, but I didn't think they were as atrocious as people made it sound. I mean, it's an all-star game. It's a, a unique festival they're like a five for me you know and also um last year of adidas so yeah do you think they put into it i'm not 
yeah saying that's the case but these, let's be real these were the only paint colors left in the paint buckets they had exactly so. <laughs> <laughs> um speaking of jerseys though arizona the new third jerseys then are all um i don't know if you want to call them alternate thirds sure um was it the, like the desert reds i think is what they've called them yeah um, they had a local designer that pretty much put them together and did the wordmark logo which wordmark logos historically don't do well i don't know that this one did much better no um it had a lot of potential i think that they're just like if you're going to go with a simple concept for a uniform, you have to stick with that simple concept. Like it, mm-hmm. the, the beauty of Arizona's palette and template right now, including this Jersey is the Kachina striping at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And really that's kind of where you're going out on a limb. And mm-hmm. I think that maybe you stick with that instead of doing a wordmark logo, you do an actual logo and let kind of the, the small little aspects of the jersey speak for themselves. I think this jersey is just competing too much on what it wants to be, and uh, it, it was a great idea. The it, they're not terrible, but I just they're really going through an identity crisis. Which actually, since it's Arizona, is very fitting. So actually, it is. <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't. It, it's weird, like you said. It's I. It's almost like they wanted to have something a little less busy. But then the striping on the on the elbows and then on the bottom, it just it kind of it just kind of clashes, I think, with the top half of the jersey, which I think I, I like the lettering. I like the simplicity of it. There's not any uh, different colors in the shoulders. So I think from the chest on up, I actually think it looks really good. Would, would it have looked better if they would have done like the New York Rangers style block lettering and just said Arizona down the front? Like, would that have looked better if you're going to do with letters? Like, I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I think it's more just the the way that the design on the bottom of the jersey and the arms. It, I think it just is a bit too busy when you when you yeah. factor in the how simple it is above it, but. I'm not a design professional, so maybe yeah. maybe, that's maybe just how my eyes are reading it. Yeah, you know? maybe a giant sun devil right in the. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, oh, that's same, oh. same. It's the same uh, building. It's the same building. <laughs> I see why you make that mistake. <laughs> speaking of speaking of that building, I know this is off topic, but we're about less than four months from that uh, from that uh, public vote. So oh yeah, for Tempe. So we're getting inching closer. To that. I don't know. I don't. I don't mind them, um, but they're not my favorite. Um, you, you could say that about the next uh, third jerseys is they say new alternates. We're talking about the Vancouver Canucks, where that is an alternate universe in terms of how that thing is being run right now. Um, we'll get to yeah. that, I'm assuming, at some point. But this isn't new. It's just a, a bring back of the old Pavel Bure 90s jerseys. Yeah, they look good, though. They look good. But I just I find it funny how they're saying new when in reality it's not. <laughs> well, the, stri- the striping is a little different. They They didn't used to be that clear cut as far no. as the banding back in the day um and no, but had I mean, a little bit of white exactly the same and yeah i think it's, they should always use that that logo for something though i think this the skating canuck skate is always pretty cool in my opinion i think the the crazier thing with the canucks maybe this is a good time to mention this i i read a thing this morning of course rick talk it sounds like he's been he's probably pegged as the new coach like we had kind of talked about last week in vancouver and i think it's interesting because jim rutherford you know publicly putting out a statement that he's been searching for months for a new head coach is just asinine in so many different respects. Um, In different ways. But I I read a thing this morning that talked about Bruce Boudreaux basically had like a cold one with his staff and each of the players came in individually and wished him good luck and that sort of thing. He hasn't been fired yet. It's supposed to happen on Monday. Like what the hell is this? 
runaway train that's flying off the tracks for Vancouver right now. JT Miller was going bonkers in the game again yesterday. Mm -hmm. Um, And you and I kind of talked about it pre-show. It's like JT Miller, this is his first real team that has extensively just sucked. Um, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, he's frustrated, and, and he knows he's going to be there for seven more years. It's like it's pretty easy to see why he's frustrated. I don't think he's handling it all that well, but I don't know that no. any of us would be either. And I know we've 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 kind of written JT Miller kind of hard on some of this stuff, and some of it has been well deserved. But at, at some point, like you almost feel for the guy, and you definitely feel for Bruce Boudreaux the way that he's been dragged through the media and management has failed to like what the hell is going on in Vancouver like not that Vancouver was anything crazy but they used to be this you know decently respectable organization and then all of a sudden Roberto Luongo is gone and ever since that happened they have this history of pushing really good people out of that organization and making it an absolute dumpster fire and like what the hell man you know we don't know, right? That's the thing is there's there's no viable explanation to some of the things that we're seeing right now. Um, and for those who are completely under a rock, uh, you know, for, for hockey again, as a GM, to come out and say that, mind you, they went out and got, got Bruce Boudreau uh, about this time last year, if I recall, is around this time. Um, nearly resurrected a Vancouver Canucks, which were, yeah. I believe, at one point in last place in the Western Conference, if not very close to it, and nearly pushed them to a playoff spot. And then for even if if you're Jim Rutherford or Patrick Alvin, I think is technically the GM, let's just say that you didn't really plan on Bruce being a long-term solution. He was he was a fill gap. Okay, fine. You don't ever come out publicly and say i'm searching for a new coach for months or drag him through this process through for it, right? no reason and, and like if you watch some of his press comments some of them were kind of funny he's like see you guys tomorrow i think mm-hmm. i hope you know and um but other ones yeah. like he got really emotional about what it meant for him to be an nhl head coach of course his last gig before you know in minnesota it really hurt him to have to be cut at the timing that he was right after the trade deadline in minnesota and i felt bad mm-hmm. for him too like He's a good coach. Now, do I think he's exceptional? I don't know, but he's a really good human being. And I think that mm-hmm. goes back to our conversation about Ivan Provorov. Maybe just don't be a shitty human. Like, right. this is mm-hmm. a people-driven business. We aren't robots. No. Like, and and at the end of it, I think the other thing we missed too, Noah, is that I think just yesterday, Elliot Friedman said that you know the Canucks have scheduled a hearing for Monday, which yeah. could you imagine being in Bruce Boudreaux's shoes reading Elliot Friedman, which, I mean, come on, who doesn't? I mean, he's yeah. kind of the new age Bob McKenzie, right? He's he's the most respectable hockey reporter that's out there. Um, yeah. And he doesn't put out things that, uh, shall we say, he can't triangulate. You know, he's, he's, he's gotten to where he is because he's very good. How do you, as Bruce, read that, knowing that you're about to ha- be handed your pink slip? But more so, I've been reading possibly for weeks that this was coming, but yet you still come to the rink. Um, you get asked about it and you still handle it with the class and yeah, a shred more humor than I would have been able to handle. I mean, geez, I would have been rage quitting um, in you know the GM's office going, what the hell is this, right? So the, the fact that he's been put through this one is despicable, but more so to speak to, Boudreau, to Bruce Boudreaux's character, the fact that he's handled it albeit better than I think any one of us could have ever handled 
is a just a true speak to to how great of a human being he is. But even more so, as you mentioned, how horribly run and the tire fire that's happening inside of Vancouver. And yeah. here's the problem, right? Noah, is that is if you're on the outside as a player or as a an assistant coach who's got head coach aspirations, are you wanting to join the Vancouver yeah. Canucks organization I'm, when you're reading the calamities that are happening? I wouldn't think so. I'm surprised Rick Tockett wants this job if it indeed is him. Um, you know, the I have thing- an idea. He he wants to coach and nobody else wants him to coach. Yeah. The other thing too is this makes Bruce Boudreaux a little bit more marketable the way he's handling this. You, if you're Correct. a rebuilding program, you look at this and say, okay, maybe if we're not a bunch of assholes and we treat him like a normal human being, he's going to give us his best effort and the chips are going to fall where they're going to fall. Um, yeah. So I think that it does make him more marketable in that sense. He's been around the league. He knows the game, obviously. But uh, yeah, it's been... It's been a messy situation. At least he's not in debt or filing for bankruptcy, though. I hear there's somebody else in our list that might. Yeah, um, oh. it's not Evander Kane. So oh. <laughs> <laughs> he did return this week, though. So good he for did, him, actually. But. And uh, apparently some, you know, and we'll talk about probably that another week. Um, that situation getting also kind of murky uh, with Evander Kane with some of the reportings uh, that he's had in those. But um, how about. A goaltender, uh, Vegas Golden Knights, uh, Robin Leonard, um, filed for bankruptcy, citing $50 million in debt. No, holy cow. Uh, this is a Chapter 7 filing. Uh, so uh, it's a joint filing, so him and his wife. Um, so in that filing, he says that he's owed money to no fewer than 50 people and companies. So just a few. Um, one of his companies uh, struck a deal with a Wisconsin company in a four-year repayment plan, but missed its first five payments. So uh, for those of you who uh, play the home game, uh, when you usually come to an agreement, you usually have kind of like a trial period the first six months yeah. to continue that when you miss your first five. But does that's not good. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that means that the Wisconsin company sued in late tw- June 2022, so late last year, um, uh, and basically filed that um, in Milwaukee U.S. District Court. Um, What apparently he is in debt for is missed payments for a collection of rare snakes. Um, He purchased a $1.2 million in 2017. Yeah, that's one of the things. That much? Holy cow. That's just one of the things. Yeah, apparently he bought these snakes and then didn't like keep the snakes in very healthy condition. So they depreciated in value. So now they're worth like $200,000 or something like that. So... Um, just like just like his injuries, um, not healing. The snakes apparently weren't either. I I guess I, I guess. Yeah, um, I've heard there's some real estate stuff in there too. Yeah, um, some business losses. Again, we don't know the full scope of it, but fifty million. Uh, that's not yeah. a small amount. And uh, when you compare it to where in the filing he says that he and his wife uh, Danya estimate their assets are up to ten million. Well, you're still forty million in the hole. So. Uh, We'll have to keep our eyes on on this story as it evolves. But you know who they should call? Um, Ghostbusters. No, the newest signing from the Minnesota Wild, Matt Boldy, seven by seven for yeah. him. Um, we're going to talk about that in the regular portion of the show. So uh, we're that's a little bit of our teaser. Normally we talk about our signings. We'll talk about that in the main portion of the show with the Wild because we got a lot to touch on uh, for them related to little tidbits this week, uh, including Kur- Kirill Kaprizov hitting his one hundredth goal. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll talk about that. Other news around the NHL: Steven Stamkos hit five hundred, only the third active player right now to hit that um the blues get their 2000th win in st louis in franchise history after beating the sens last week so uh, a couple of milestones there uh second to last topic here this week a longtime canucks enforcer gino ojic uh dies at 52 
um, played eight seasons at Vancouver, had just under 100 points and just under 2,200 PIMS in 444 games in Vancouver. Um, he has had AL AMD amyloidosis uh, since 2014, which unfortunately for those, um, it's kind of a lesser known disease. If you catch it early, um, there's some management. A lot of people have it as a chronic issue. They caught it a little bit too late. And in this case, it's, um, it's usually fatal. Um, so really, what is that? I, I think people maybe need an explanation here because it's kind of it's kind of hard to explain. Um, I think even when I was looking through it, it, like I understood what was going on, but I realized like it's it's a hard thing to explain to people if I was trying to explain it like in a hospital setting. So the best I can give you, um, essentially, it's a disorder of your plasma proteins, um, which are usually in your bone marrow. Um, they essentially make antibodies and other things to help your immune system help fight infection. Um, and this disease makes them mutate, so they multiply too fast. So there's there's heavy chains and there's light chains of these proteins. And these are what is called the light chains in his particular case. Um, so they essentially, instead of being produced and then slowly being churned out to where they're needed in the body, they churn out too much and then they clump up, they misform, they mutate, and they get stuck in on around all these organs, making things difficult for him to breathe. His heart rate's off. It's actually, I like, I, I hate to throw this out here because it's a sad story. Um, but like from a medical perspective, it's a really tough way to go through life, unfortunately, um, especially if you're nearing the end. So um, they essentially disrupts that organ function and weakens the immune system. So um, kind of knew it was coming, but it doesn't make it any easier. 52 is still plenty young. So uh, mm -hmm. wishing him and uh, his family, obviously, the best of luck uh, as they move through this difficult time. Uh, injury wise, our last topic here, uh, quite a few significant ones here. Uh, Montreal's Cole Caulfield out the rest of the year with a shoulder surgery. 26 goals, second on the team with 36 points and 46 total contests. So that's a big loss for Montreal. Mm -hmm. They're also without rookie uh, Uri Slavkovsky for at least three months with a lower body ailment. Um, he's not going to require surgery, but they it kind of disrupts their plan for him, uh, at least in the short term and where they were trying to develop him. Um Former Montreal Canadian, current Carolina Hurricane, Max Pacioretty tore his Achilles for the second time in five months. That was in the wild game mm -hmm. uh, on Thursday. That was tough to watch. Uh, Non-contact injury too, yeah. Yeah, basically it was a point-per-game player in like the five games, four or five games that he returned to. So that's a, it's a tough one. You wonder if that's a career ender. Usually Achilles, usually they heal better and stronger the second time around so i'm a little bit surprised that there was an issue with this but uh, we'll have to see if he can remedy that he's been kind of a a, a glass case for the past couple of years unfortunately mm -hmm. uh, and then the final one maple leafs jason robertson forward out six months after having season ending shoulder surgery And welcome into the main portion of the show, January 22nd. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant, here on the Huskies Warming House podcast, welcoming everybody into the den for episode number 146. Nick, normally we spend quite a bit of time, I would say, on the NCAA men's side of things, um, but some fairly routine scores, a couple of notables as usual, but we're going to try to cruise through this. It is much more of a normal week, and next week is the week where we really don't have a game till next Thursday or Friday. So it is, um, it is getting more cut and dry as we approach the playoffs, which is really, really nice um, for our reporting purposes. I know that some people, um, I thank our listeners and viewers, if you kind of had to sludge through some of the stuff we were going through over like the holiday break, it was kind of a difficult thing to try to report accurately. So um, I know it makes sense when you're looking at it, on the schedule, but if you're just listening to us talk about it, sometimes it can be quite a lot. So we apologize if 
it felt like a lot because it felt like a lot to us too. Uh, but let's start with the Big Ten, as we always do. Uh, Notre Dame traveled to Penn State and exactly what anybody, any pairwise fan would want, uh, a split. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame winning 2-1 to one and Penn State winning 3-2. to two. So if you're a Huskies fan, you'll take that result all day of the week. Uh, also, Ohio State traveling to Wisconsin. Ohio State won the second night 2 to nothing, but Wisconsin won 4 nothing. The first night, this Badgers team up to the low 30s here in the pairwise. I think they're at 32 this morning. So uh, the Badgers... Maybe a real dark horse candidate to make some noise in their conference tournament in the Big Ten. I don't think they have a shot at the Big Dance, but they could certainly disrupt somebody's journey uh, potentially. So um, kind of interesting there. They've, like you talked about pre-show, besides a really poor start, they have not been terrible. You know, I mean, they've been yeah, they've been formidable at least. So Ohio State needed a, both of those games and uh, two shutouts in either direction. Only the, I think it's the third time this season we've seen it. The other two have involved Notre Dame. So uh, Michigan traveled to Minnesota this weekend, though. Two overtime finishes. The Gophers win 4-3 the first night. Michigan wins 5-4 yesterday. Those were two incredible, incredible hockey games this weekend. I mean, mm-hmm. back and forth action. 3M Arena at Mariucci was rocking, and I think that uh, you know, you kind of got the the vibes of old WCHA a little bit. Obviously, Michigan wasn't really uh, a part of that uh, in in those terms, but it like it was impressive to see the crowd there on hand. And I think that you know, as a Huskies fan, as much as you want to deny it, that Minnesota building when it's seating almost eleven thousand people is a massive advantage when that building mm-hmm. is full. The crowd noise was electric. The college hockey, the student section, the band was going. I mean, it was. Did you get a chance to catch any of these games? I mean, it was. Got a, it was got a little bit of it. Yeah. Um, holy cow! Uh, again, the offensive talent and the just the 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 punch and the counter punch really between these two heavyweights was the storyline of both games. And you know, the, the one thing I, I guess is, you know, both these teams are showing a little bit this weekend that, you know. They can handle the in-game adversities. Uh, something that the golfers, if there's been a knock on the golfers, it's been at times of, hey, when you know, shall we say that the real challenge comes? It's sometimes uh, maybe a little bit. I don't know if careful is the word, but just not you know able to kind of respond you know with a good counter. And uh, sometimes what what we're noticing is when the big boys come to town is that um, they're rising to the occasion, which is good. Yeah, Bryce Brozinski uh, scoring the game, tying goal with just over three minutes left in that hockey game was very exciting last night anyway. Of course, Michigan State was off in the Big Ten. There's usually one team that's off unless they're playing a non-conference game. So I'm going to assume that that trend is going to continue as we push into the second half because it's basically conference play. Mm-hmm. Uh, CCHA 2.0, Bowling Green traveled to St. Thomas. The Tommies, uh, 4-2 victory and a 3-3 overtime finish yesterday. Uh, yeah, great showing for St. Thomas. Um I hear they have a, a new building that we're going to talk about in the extra ice session, yes. by the way. Um, apparently costs a little bit of money. Uh, Lake Superior State traveling to uh, the border of St. Thomas, Mankato, and Mankato winning 3-2 in overtime, a bit of a scare in night number one, mm-hmm. and then 3-1 victory in night number two. Michigan Tech traveling to Ferris, and it was a split each way. Tech winning one nothing the first night, Ferris State 4-3 to in a shootout tie yesterday. So, uh, yeah, if you're Tech, you... Um, I think it's officially a tie is what it's listed, but Ferris kind of giving people some fits mm-hmm. as they move into the second half. Northern Michigan, Bemidji splits each way. Bemidji 4 nothing. Northern Michigan 5-2. So CCHA continues to offer up intrigue. Uh, ECAC here, they were the only group that really had a ton of 
Friday, Saturday single set matchup. So we'll try our best here. First, a game on Tuesday, Princeton beat Providence in overtime. So that wasn't great for Providence. No. Uh, then Princeton played Cornell and Cornell won that one. Um, and why is that important? Because Cornell, uh, the first night on Friday, beat Quinnipiac four to nothing. Mm-hmm. That yep. was big for Huskies fans. And Quinnipiac dropped their second of the weekend to Colgate three to two. Um, and Colgate has some common NCHC opponents. I believe Duluth is one of them. Mm-hmm. Duluth so. or North Dakota. I think it's Duluth. But um, and then Harvard lost to Brown three to two on Saturday. So there's another big blow to a top team in the ECAC. So the big dogs in that conference not doing so well uh hockey east northeastern traveled to merrimack and northeastern swept merrimack 5-1 and 1-0 so uh, again the big dogs in hockey east not doing great uh maine traveling to bu and bu crazy scores here uh 5-1 and 9-6 they hit the sweep okay um uconn umass uh uconn won in overtime and then swept umass at the end of that one that minimen team is i think it's uh, safe to say they're not good um, I don't, mm-hmm. they're just struggling. Uh, UNH traveled to UMass Lowell, UMass Lowell winning both of those. Um, but New Hampshire did beat UMass in the Minutemen last Sunday. Uh, and then Vermont traveled for a single game set to Boston College and actually beat the Eagles. So they're a middle of the pack team BC is, and they're now in an interesting spot as well. And then two independent scores or matchups, I should say. Uh, Long Island sweeping Lindenwood 3-2 in overtime and 6-4 to yesterday. And then RIT sweeping Arizona State 5-1 really and 5-3. <laughs> this RIT team is making a case in Atlantic hockey to do some serious damage here. Um, I don't know. We, were, My dad and I were kind of talking about this. Maybe we'll get to this in the pairwise stuff. But the, the Huskies are a shade off from being first in the country in the pairwise. I don't even know if you want number one at this point. It always seems like to be no. a death sentence. This Atlantic hockey conference has given some serious intrigue against some pretty good opponents at times here i think number two is not a bad place to be if you're st cloud i agree (laughs) yeah what's on tap here uh big 10 wisconsin at Notre dame michigan state travels to minnesota penn state is at michigan and ohio state is off ccha 2.0 mankato's at ferris bemidji's at lake superior and northern michigan is at tech that means bowling green is off on saturday they play the u.s under 18s next I listed as Friday. I think it might actually be Thursday. Uh, and then the ECAC Colgate has Harvard. We got to pay attention to Harvard now and Cornell mm-hmm. has Harvard. So we have to pay attention to see what they're going to do. And then hockey East UMass and UMass Lowell have a single game set. Merrimack travels to Vermont. The Catamounts have given teams fits mm-hmm. BC home and home against BU, regardless of where they are at the standings. That one's got to be circled on the calendar every year. I would think Easily. Uh, and then Providence travels to Maine. Uh, there is also a Connecticut ice tourney that's going on, some conference and non-conference stuff, but really what's happening is Quinnipiac plays Sacred Heart, and UConn plays Yale, and then Quinnipiac will get either UConn or Yale, and Sacred Heart will get the other. So Quinnipiac has a chance to slip further in the standings depending on the results of this tournament. And then independent-wise, St. Thomas travels to Arizona State, so uh, the Sun Devils welcome in one of the newest programs in college hockey. And the two Alaska schools, Alaska and Anchorage, do battle up in Anchorage in Seawolves territory. So, uh, well, I I think that we don't need to touch on standings this week. Let's jump right into the NCHC here, which I think has offered a lot of intrigue for us this week. Duluth, North Dakota, it was a split each way. 4-2, North Dakota wins in night number one. Duluth wins 2-1 in the second night. Um, I think if you're an NCHC fan, both of these end in regulation, Luke Lohite with the game winner yesterday with about three minutes to play. 
I think you're happy with the result here. I think you would take a split in that matchup one way or the other, mm-hmm. I would think. I would think, yeah. It keeps them, uh, keeps them where they're at right now currently, which we'll touch on a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I, I, I would have liked to see North Dakota drop them both too as well, but I think that keeping both of those teams in the lower echelon here, I mean, like especially if you're an Omaha fan, CC, Western Michigan, you feel pretty good about things, right? So mm-hmm. uh, certainly interesting. Uh, Miami, Omaha, uh, the Mavs winning both of these 4-1 and 2 to nothing. I think the second one was an empty netter last night, so it was certainly a close contest for the Red Hawks. We'll touch on them uh, a little bit more as a program. But Omaha, uh, for a brief moment until the Husky score got posted, was in second place, actually, above Mm -hmm. St. Cloud. So um, they are not doing too shabby. Uh, And then Western Michigan traveling to CC. These two teams are right next to each other in the standings, even after the results, a pair of four to one victories for the Broncos beating the Tigers here. So if you're a Huskies fan, that one kind of stings seeing the Broncos slowly creep up. Yeah, but at the same time, you almost will take it because CC was closer than Western was mm-hmm. <laughs> compared to that. So it's been interesting. So St. Cloud, of course, did host Denver this weekend. Seven to three was the score of the first night and two to nothing in night number two. Uh, attendance in night number one was 4,080. Um, and uh, essentially going through the scoring here, Zach Okabe on the power play from Spencer Meyer and Jack Peart six and a half minutes into that contest. Then at the halfway point, a power play goal for Denver nodded us up at one entering the second period, and we had a boatload of goals for both teams here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jack Devine and Brett Edwards scoring for Denver. It was Yami Kranila, Jack Rogers, Kranila, and Mietnan, all goal scorers in period number two. Okabe, Treyball, Spellacy, Bushy, Crookshank, Kupka, Anhorn, and Ingram all tallying assists on those goals that had the Huskies in the driver's seat six to or five to three uh, entering period number three. And then uh, Mietnan's goal was a power play goal, by the way, at the end of that period. And then Grant Crookshank responded with a power play goal of his own, a 16th of the season from Anhorn and Josh Lidke. And then Mason Solquist from Lidke uh, with less than a minute to play in that one here. Huskies were three for five on the power play in this one. Uh, and two for three on the kill. So special teams, certainly a big factor in this one. Uh, 64.7% the Huskies were in the faceoff dot on Friday night, uh, 44 for 68 and out shooting Denver by two. Dominic Bassey had an 870 on 23 shots. Magnus Krona had an 800 and Matt Davis came in with two saves as well too. So um, yeah, this is probably not the score that I would have anticipated if you were a St. Cloud fan. I mean, you'll certainly take it, but I, I I was intrigued to see St. Cloud, their special teams battle here. We talked about how their PK has really struggled. Their power play has really come to life. And this might be the recipe for this Huskies team where, yeah, the PK was all right, but your power play Almost as inopportune as the penalty kill has been, your power play has to be opportunistic at the right time for the St. Cloud team in certain games. Uh, Would you say that was the difference in this one, or do you think it was a lot more than just special teams? Well, I think we've we've talked about how special teams against your top-tier opponents are are essentially the X factor, right, Noah? But I think more importantly, it's you have to be worried about five on five first. And I think the Huskies won the five on five battle. More importantly, the special teams can help you, you know, create that wider gap. Um, it can also help prevent them from inching back into a hockey game. Yeah. But uh, to me, I look at the five on five play and they were, 
uh, the much better team at even strength. Um, yeah. Goaltending was really, really good. So, yes, uh, the specialty teams uh, helps. Again, we, we've talked about areas, uh, especially the PK, which were becoming a bit of a blemish. Uh, but uh, here this weekend, again, uh, everything was seemed to be clicking and, and mostly all cylinders. Again, it's never a perfect uh, recipe, but uh, I think five on five play against uh, a Denver team, again, reigning national champions. That's what I looked at. And that to me, that was the, uh, the bigger storyline um, this weekend than it was maybe special teams. It looked good to see that a lot of those are starting to come back into the fold and, and maybe um, a bit more success on those fronts as well. Yeah. I had kind of predicted this on MNCAA where I predicted a sweep simply because of the fact that Denver had not had some strong opponents and St. Cloud was coming off an interesting weekend against the Tigers. And then, you know, the Minnesota series the weekend before that. And this Denver team did not look like the fire fire wagon powerhouse that we had seen when we were at Magnus arena where the Huskies had to really fight and claw for every inch to get that victory. The first night Mm -hmm. they, like you said, St. Cloud was the more dominant team throughout most of this hockey game besides maybe some penalty kill stuff. So even on Saturday, they were one for two on the power play and had a perfect kill on the loan opportunity Denver had. So, uh, I mean, yeah, it, it was like you said, I don't think a complete 60 minute effort really exists in the game of hockey, but for large stretches of, of hockey, St. Cloud was the better team. And one of the things that made them really successful, I think even as you moved into Saturday, uh, attendance was 51-48 in this one, by the way. So actually more than uh, the Matt Cullen ceremony game, actually, by about 40 people. So I think that what made St. Cloud successful is their ability to alleviate pressure. We talked about it when they were under duress. Sometimes they were just content to flow to puck out to neutral, flow to puck out, you know, pass center ice and just change, reset, regroup, and then earn them a victory and a pair of victories. Jack Rogers at the 732 mark of period number two, and Zach Okabe, his 15th of the season on the power play. Cronulla, a pair of assists. Joey Molinar and Jack Peart, other assists in this one. Uh, shots 23-19 St. Cloud, a bit of a lower shooting game, uh, and the Huskies were f- almost 56% in the dot. Uh, Jackson Castor was perfect. Magnus Corona had a 9-13, uh, stopped 21 of 23. So, uh, of course, one of the big stories before the game was Dylan Anhorn out of the lineup, probably because of that collision he took late in the first game. Uh, so hopefully he can have some rest and recuperation as we go through this. But uh, a much more subdued, tight-checking hockey game. Teams kind of feeling themselves out in this one here. I I... I We'll get to the reviews at the end of period number two in a second, but I think that uh, this game did not have the pace that I had anticipated after seeing the back-and-forth action in the first night. You you wonder if David Carl maybe had had an adjustment there to try to slow things down, at least in the neutral zone for St. Cloud, but the Huskies kind of slow and methodical uh, to the finish line in this one and uh, come away with a crucial six points. And and that's the thing, right, especially with – the way that this schedule shaked out this weekend, I mean, they really needed uh, as many points as they can get. And and I know that we talked last week about uh, the Penrose and, you know, maybe thinking that we were expecting maybe a split this weekend. Okay. But really the six was more, I think more needed than, than we think. Right. Um, especially with some of the other results. Uh, it's kind of a log jam now at the top here, you know, as we look at the NCHC stains, in fact, again, St. Cloud technically with the tiebreaker over Denver have winning three or four. And then Omaha right behind two points less at 27, Western Michigan 25, and then Colorado College um, after this weekend in fifth, uh, it's 20. So a nine point gap 
between a essentially where St. Cloud is at and um, a away ice uh, standing position for the NCHC playoffs. So this was needed. And uh, let's just say that, you know, for the men's hockey schedule, um, now there's no excuses, right? They got uh, a favorable schedule, shall we say it, uh, with some of their next opponents. I, I don't know. I don't know, man. I like uh, to say it's a favorable schedule. I don't know well, that I would call it that in the sense that really like – I could what end I mean up- by favorable is, is is you and I both know this, right? Is that it's not, it's 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 scary because it can be kind of you know kind of a trap. They're going to be the paper you know favorite team, but again, it's like it's the NCHC. I mean, it's yeah. it, it's not it's not as easy as we want to believe it is. Well, let's back up to Saturday. The one other thing I really want to touch on here: we had two reviews at the end of period number two with about three minutes and a minute and a half remaining in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know a lot of people were up in arms. They were both goal reviews here. The first one, of course, a pretty routine shot on Jackson Caster that essentially ended up squeaking through him, a uh, slow rolling puck, and the official was on the same side as the netminder, blew the play dead, and then it was rolling and slowly trickled into the back of the net there. Uh, and then the second one essentially was for the Huskies, and they chipped a puck off the end wall and off the side of the net, and then they tried to uh, jam play and ended up on top of the goaltender's pad, and the goaltender's pad was sliding back into the net there, which um, I thought that one would, would have been tough to overturn from a no goal on the ice there. I mean, it was just really difficult to see uh, all the way around. Um, you know, when there were a lot of people that were kind of up in arms about – you know, how long the reviews take. And I agree the first one probably took a little bit too long. Um, but I have no problem with officials reviewing goal reviews. I think that we talked a lot about, mm-hmm. you know, like the offside reviews take too long. Some of these chintzy penalties take too long. Like now if it's a true major or there's a serious injury on the play, that's different. Um, but the, some of these penalties like, oh, it was a trip, but we're seeing if it was a major. Like you, how, how are you going to get a major out of a tripping call? You know what I mean? Like right. uh, stuff like that. So I had no problem with the officials blowing both these plays dead. I think the first one, a lot of people, you know, and like I said, the review took a bit longer, but I think a lot of people were up in arms about how long it took, not realizing that, number one, why was this play blown dead? Well, the official is on the same side as the netminder, and this is a routine save, 99 out of 100 shots. I mean, normally this puck doesn't squeak through. It hit him right in the bread basket, right in the middle of the, the logo on his chest. So the official is thinking, oh, you know, simple save. I'm going to blow the play dead and end up trickling through. Early whistles happen in hockey. But at the same time, if you're the official who's in the corner there, I think you want to take a look at that, right? You want to take a Mm -hmm. look at it. Make sure you had it right. I'm assuming the reviews have audio. So they're listening for the timing of the whistle relative to where the puck was um, to make sure that it was indeed blown dead early enough. Otherwise, for those who don't know, if a goal goes over the goal line, but the official had the intention of blowing the whistle, you could still wave it off, but you could also call it a goal. But like we talked about, if you blow it before it crosses the line, it's negated regardless. So I think they just wanted to make sure they were doing their due diligence and people were screaming at the TV with the length of the review. But let's realize the officials haven't seen the 27 TV replays that we have seen by the time they get over to the box, right? Like they're they're on the ice. They want to make sure they got the call right. Then the second one was a bit interesting. I don't think it was going to be a goal anyway. It was just too inconclusive. But, I mean, do, do you feel the fans' frustration with the length review? I know the NCHC officiating has been a hot topic. We <clears throat> discussed it even on our show at a live breakdown. But I, I think personally, for goal reviews, I didn't think it was anything egregious. 
No, and and we we talked about this right um, in the sense of of reviews, and and we had you know Mike Schmidt you know on and discussing some of the technological uh, sometimes the difficulties um, with not every arena having. Uh, shall we say the working equipment and then sometimes there's equipment failures and you know so it, it's more than just the review right so um, it, it is a topic of conversation not only in the NCHC but around hockey um, in the sense uh, in terms of you know what are we getting to the point where we're becoming baseball um, we, we've seen um, shall we say the NFL try something differently in the playoffs and i mentioned the expedited reviews and those actually have been really really nice uh so you have essentially an off-ice official that's consistently watching you know sort of like the nhl war room in toronto but more so they can just jump in and essentially make the call they're not you know having to be called in so that's sort of speeding up the process i kind of wonder if uh if hockey is going to adapt something like that in the future i think it should um especially with um, at the Herbux National Hockey Center, again, HP Productions um, and some of the camera reviews, you know, they've got some of the better looks um, around the entire NCHC um, that at their disposal. I mean, you would think that you'd be able to come to a, a little bit better of a conclusion. Uh, but the problem with some of those reviews is sometimes it's, did I blow the whistle on time? You know, there right. is that real thing, right? So it's more yeah. complicated than that, right? And I'm not sure if this applies to college hockey. You know, I don't think there's that goofy vague, like, oh, I meant to blow the whistle in college hockey. I don't, I don't think that exists. Yeah. So yeah, it uh, exists in, in every level. Officials, okay. Officials. So for example, let's say you have a goaltender who has the puck covered, right? And then someone comes in and he pokes the puck out from underneath the goaltender's glove and it goes in the net. You as an official at any level can say it's no goal because the intention was to blow the whistle. But while I was, putting the whistle to my mouth, essentially, then that play happened so that yeah. you you essentially can say, even though that this happened, my intention was to blow this play dead. It's no goal. So it is actually in effect at any level, including beer league, ladies and gentlemen. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting, like Jim Rich um, and Gino were talking about. They're like, I don't understand why this is a reviewable play. It's definitely a reviewable play. I mean, you can take a look and listen um, to any, you know, make sure that the whistle is going at the appropriate time. Uh, so it is definitely a reviewable play. So there's no argument on that one. Um, I believe it's uh, like bullet point number three in, in the officials review category for uh, the NCHC protocol. But uh, yeah, like I said, it maybe it took a little bit too long, but I think the issue like you talked about with, you know, having somebody who is the office official who is maybe you know, ready to kind of cue them up and say, yep, this is what we saw. This is definitively no goal. Like you don't need to spend time on this. It's staffing. Uh, you know, a lot of these officials, you know, they're weekend warriors. Essentially they've got regular jobs during the week and then they fly wherever they're going or travel or whatever it is to do these games. I think that maybe the NCHC maybe is stretched a little thin potentially mm -hmm. with trying to get that staffed. I like the idea. I just wonder if we're in kind of an interesting spot as far as that is concerned too. I like, and this is cheesy because I ref beer league, but you know, it's easy for us to be on officials when you don't do the job. And then when you right. do the job, you like, sometimes all you're looking for is the trap door and a way out because situations are difficult and you're the only one that's making that decision um, or the, the team that you're with the group that you're with. So um, I had no problem with the, with the goal reviews, you know, they took a little bit longer than maybe they should have, but at the end of the day, they got the call right. And comparative to offside reviews, you have to get goal calls, right? You have to get yeah. them right. You know, we talked about this with Max features Bulldogs and Duluth, which the Huskies will see next weekend. Uh, and the, and that shootout opportunity when the Huskies got the winner on that one, when we try, we're trying to decide if the, you know, 
if the play was going to go across. So um, moving on to NCHC standings things here, Nick, uh, 29, 29, 27, 25 here, St. Cloud, Denver, Omaha, Western. CC is in fifth at 20. I think they're probably the last team that has a legitimate shot at home ice. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say Duluth, North Dakota, Miami are all out of it here at 16, 15, and 7. Every team has played 14 games at this point meaning we've got 10 to go for each club. Uh, CC has an uphill battle, though, home and home against Denver. Omaha travels to Western Michigan. North Dakota travels to Miami, so maybe some crucial points um, for uh, for North Dakota if they can kind of string things back together and right the ship a little bit here. And then St. Cloud, of course, will travel up to Amsoil and be in Duluth uh, this upcoming weekend here. So uh, as far as pairwise changes, well, let's preview the men here before we get to the pairwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the first time the Huskies have seen Duluth. Like you mentioned, uh, eight of their last 10 games are against opponents who are below 500 or you know low-ranked opponents in the pairwise. So it's an important stretch for this St. Cloud team. They will see the Bulldogs four times, um, the mm-hmm. most of any opponent down the stretch. I believe it's North Dakota, Miami, um, and I can't remember the last one. Um, Omaha, maybe. So this is a big weekend for St. Cloud to stay pat, not only in the NCHC, but really make sure that their pairwise you know, implications are important here. I'll, I'll take a look at where Duluth is. I'm guessing they're, they're probably going to be mid-30s, I'm assuming. They were 30 31, 31 this morning. So um, right next to Wisconsin. Uh, so what do you expect from this Bulldog club that really has struggled this season? Um, and what okay. can, what can, you know, it's scary. Cause like I said, you've got four matchups against Duluth and then uh, two matchups against North Dakota, which they're almost the same mold right now in the NCHC and pairwise. Uh, you're going to have to expect some desperate hockey, right? That's, that's the big thing is Duluth knows where they're at. Um, and this is, we've seen Scott Sandlin's teams be second half teams. This is a different situation where you could see that there was some positives to their game. You could see that, you know, there was just maybe a couple of things hit or miss that were preventing them from maybe getting a win here or there. Uh, this Bulldogs team, uh, on both sides of the puck is struggling mightily. Um, you want to know a scary scat? UMD has scored 55 goals. That's it so far in conference play. Miami, who is the worst, has scored 51. Yeah. So they're not scoring goals. And more so, I think that the bigger key uh, to this is their um, is their goals against, right? UMD, usually a hallmark um, for the defensive. I think they've given up, what, 88 or 85 goals. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's Com- not looking great. Yeah, conference-wise, Duluth, 32 goals for, 44 against, so a dash 12. Um, mm-hmm. Gold diff, and then overall they've uh, they are dash fifteen. They've scored fifty five and given up seventy. So compared to fifty one to eighty eight for Miami overall, oh, and tw- okay, and then twenty one to sixty for Miami in conference yeah. play. But you know it's interesting. You mentioned North Dakota, a team that really scores a lot. They're still giving up a ton too. Like the games mm-hmm. that they're in, they're losing by one or two because their firepower shows up, and then they can't by a bounce. They can't get goaltending. So. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, I don't know. Uh, it's in, in their specialty teams are not great. Again, uh, you know, for, for Max speech, your friend, uh, they're drying the ire of the whistles. Um, but UMD knows that this is it, right? I, you know, every time that these weekends keep, you know, cruising along and I don't know, Noah, maybe this is a question for you because when you're in the shoes of Minnesota Duluth, you, you see the numbers, right? You know, I mean, there's no denying that this is they, been a struggle all year. They have to win the NCHC to make the tournament. Pretty much, right? So at this point, you know, 
are you more concerned about wins and losses at this point? Or are you more just concerned as, hey, I just need to get this team to play the right way. Good hockey, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're worried about March hockey. You're you're looking at the first round of the frozen face-off, the playoffs, whatever you want to call it. Um, that's what you're looking at. And you're looking at, can we get into that sixth spot to give ourselves a chance and play Omaha or Western Michigan, for example? That's what you're looking for. Um, I think that that, or maybe even in that fifth spot, if you can really climb up there and maybe make a late surge and a late lunge, depending on what CC does, for example. But yeah, this Bulldogs team is in a really tough predicament uh, when it comes to this. Uh, honestly, not that I'm complaining. I mean, they enjoyed their plethora of riches similar to what North Dakota has done over the mm-hmm. past decade. I, I like it. Omaha has surprised us. CC has, even even though we talked about how good they were going to be, has still surprised us. Mm-hmm. Like, this is fun. This is fun yeah. to watch the NCHC and have this intrigue a little bit here. Um, I say that. In the sense that St. Cloud is good this year, I think if you're a North Dakota mm-hmm. fan, you're feeling a little bit different about the way things are going. But I think it's been exciting. Um, St. Cloud moving up to number two in the pairwise right behind mm-hmm. Minnesota with the losses for Quinnipiac. Quinnipiac dropping to four. Penn State at three. Denver is at five. So they essentially dropped a spot. They replaced St. Cloud in that regard. BU, Ohio State, Michigan, Western Michigan is at nine, sneakily sneaking up there uh, mm-hmm. for NCAC teams. Cornell is at 10. Let me say that again. Cornell is at 10. I know. Uh, about that. Harvard at 11. Michigan Tech is still hanging around at 12. Uh, Michigan Somehow. State, Mankato, Notre Dame is at 15, which is interesting to me. And UConn is at 16. RIT has moved up to 17, the best of the Atlantic hockey bids right now. Mm-hmm. Merrimack down to 18 after last weekend. That The schedule's kind of catching up to them a little bit. They need to oh, write yeah. the ship quickly. Uh, Providence at 19. Omaha is now at 20. Alaska Fairbanks at 21. Um, North Dakota is at 24. Um, well, their non-conference schedule, I know kind of helped them Duluth at 31, right next to our buddies in Wisconsin. CC is right behind them at 33, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I'm looking for Miami here. Miami's at 46. If you're a Huskies fan, like you, like you would love to see Miami climb. Um, I, mm-hmm. that, that loss against the Red Hawks hurts, um, yep. badly. I, that might, that loss might honestly be the difference between them being number one versus number two in the pairwise right now. Like that might be it. Um, or a one seed versus a two seed, um, depending yeah. on how things shake out. Yeah. So got to have a good second half of your St. Cloud and you're pushing into that. Well, let's flip over to, uh, the women's side of things here. Of course, they mm-hmm. had probably one of the best teams in college hockey, uh, Ohio state. Before we get to that. Of course, we did have to wrap up the under-18 Women's Worlds. Canada played Sweden in that gold medal game. We didn't get to it. Um, didn't miss much. Uh, Canada won 10 yep. uh to take gold in that one. How about, uh, um, I'm going to butcher this name because I've heard it a million times. I'm still going to butcher it. Um, Lapusinova Nella um, for Slovakia mm-hmm. had nine goals, three assists, 12 points, plus five pace the entire tournament. And she's um, a 14-year-old, right? Yeah, all my disgusting yeah, at hockey he's, um, he's nasty so good at hockey we i kind of noticed it last week and i brushed over it and i wanted to come back to it this week because she was just incredibly impressive and definitely deserved her shout out i mean it's that's something you need is you need these countries like slovakia and other countries that have not traditionally been hockey powerhouses mm-hmm. um although slovakia has been at the nhl level but i think overall internationally for all you know men and women of all ages kind of thing um you know, to, to have players like this that generate interest on the international stage and players that are really good. So, um, yeah, Nella, what a great tournament. I mean, pacing above 
Canadian players when their last game was 10 to nothing. I mean, it was just <laughs> incredible to see. Uh, moving over uh, stateside, the WCHA, Minnesota traveled to Bemidji State, 7 nothing and 4-1. The Gophers win them both. Mankato, Wisconsin, and Duluth at St. Thomas, both these Saturday-Sunday matchups, so we only have one score for you. Wisconsin won 2-1 to against Mankato. This Badger team, I don't know, man. Like... <sighs> They are, they're not as formidable as they have been in years past. Like I said, I almost think St. Cloud wants to hang out in sixth. Like, not to say you're not going to have to get through opponents regardless, but like this Badgers team has. They've kind of cooled off a bit the second half. Yeah, it's been interesting. Yeah. Duluth uh, beating St. Thomas 3 nothing. So, yeah, it's been kind of Duluth interesting. Just continues to, you know, that they could get yeah. in third place. Was kind of surprised how low scoring that game was, though. This St. Thomas team is maybe a year or two away from maybe doing some damage, depending on the recruits that they bring in in the next couple of years. Ohio mm-hmm. State traveled to the Herb Brooks National Hockey Center. It was a home and home for men and women, 6-2 to two and 3-2 to two in overtime, a pair of wins for Ohio State. The Huskies do pick up a crucial point, obviously. Uh, attendance was 522 on Friday, not too shabby. Um I certainly would like it to be even higher, but not too shabby. Uh, 44% in the faceoff circle, 27 for 61. Shots 37-16, Ohio State. JoJo Choback had an 8-38, stopping 31 of 37. Uh, Reagan Kirk stopped 10 of 12, and Amanda Thiel was perfect, 4 for 4. Um, an 8.33 for Kirk on that stat line, by the way. Ohio State, one for two on the power play. The Huskies had no opportunity in this one. Goals coming from Emma Gentry, unassisted, and Dale Ross, her first of the season from Allie Cornelius and Tatum Geyer, those both in period number two. So it was essentially four to two Ohio State after two, and then the Buckeyes tacked on two in the first seven minutes of period number three. But um, Saturday was the game that offered a lot more intrigue, obviously, because of the overtime finish. Uh Although, if you looked at the stat line, you wouldn't have expected the score that we had. Shots 50 no. to 17 in yeah. favor of Ohio State. Um, Huskies won away from uh, being in the over in the faceoff category, 26 for 53 at 49%. Sonny Ahola had a 940, stopping 47 of 50. Yeah. What a performance that was. And Amanda Thiel stopped 15 of 17 for an 882. Um, Ohio State was over three on the man advantage, but. Uh, yeah, Nick, uh, we got the scoring started. Um, um, Sophia Jacques, of course, scoring for Ohio State. No surprise there. Um, that was one nothing after period number one. Svenja Vogt um, in period number two from Gentry and Grace Wolf had us knotted up at ones entering period number three, and it was one goal each way. Ohio State first, and then Addie Scribner two minutes later, her fourth of the season from Dale Ross and Emma Gentry before Jennifer Gardner, her 14th of the season, a minute and 11 seconds into overtime. So, a much better showing for St. Cloud, I think, overall in the weekend. I think 6-2, the game kind of got away from them a little bit at the end on Friday. Mm-hmm. 4-16 was the attendance on Saturday, but obviously a much closer score. We talked about it, though, where if you have a big dog, yes, they beat Minnesota. Yes, Ohio State you know, is probably one of the best teams in the country. But if you can kind of hang around against some of these teams where, yes, they're better on paper, this Huskies team has had enough pushback where they've had some punch and able to get a little bit of offensive production if they're getting good goaltending. Um, They've kind of slipped in recent weeks, so I think this was a good rebound for confidence, especially heading into next weekend against Bemidji State. Uh, What do you you take from this weekend before we get to the standings? Um, It's still close, but still, you know, it's almost more frustrating that you're hanging with and you just can't find a way to get on top, right? So, um, which I guess is a better uh, 
shall we say, uh, what we've been used to because it's like, okay, well, from a fan's perspective, it's like, okay, how bad is it going to be this weekend, right? Because we right. see in Wisconsin 10 um, nothing, 9-1, right? <clears throat> and granted, yep, Friday, Ohio State show that they're uh, number two in the WCHA 6-2. to two. But for St. Cloud, you know, that's sort of their next endeavor, right, is you know, yes, we're hanging around and, you know, they're being much better defensively, structurally, they're a much better team, but now can they capitalize on some of those counter punches, right? I think that's kind of the next step. So you're, you're feeling better because we're, you know, these games are not blowouts anymore. You know, you are really keeping these games competitive, but now it's how can you continue to put more pucks in the net and really, you know, put scares in these upper, you know, upper teams. How can you finally capitalize on some of those offensive chances um, to try to, you know, st- I don't want to say steal a game, but earn a victory against these top squads more consistently because, um, you know, the, the goal for one, yeah, that's great. Um, but the more of these you keep losing, the more it looks like a one-off. And I know for St. Cloud, you, you don't want that. You want to put your, you know, flag in the sand and say, no, uh, we are competitive. Yeah. You know, we're still, you know, in the bottom half of the WCHA, but we're climbing up and uh, be scared. Yeah, definitely. I was trying to do the math here. The Huskies, of course, have four weekend matchups left. They have Bemidji, Wisconsin, Duluth, and Mankato. Um, And I was trying to do the math here. Essentially, eight games, it's a three-point spread, so 24 here. The Huskies uh, would take a pretty big uphill battle. They Really, though, their destiny is kind of in their own hands, though. If they beat both Duluth and Mankato and Bemidji, they would put themselves in a good spot where, you know, the Wisconsin series will be what it is. But, uh, you know, if they could win six of their last eight, they would give themselves a serious chance against the teams above them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right now, as it stands, Minnesota's at 53, 17-1-2 in the WCHA. Guess who handed them that regulation loss this year? Yes, yes, right. Yeah, (laughs) interesting. Ohio State uh, right behind at 49. I'm sure the Buckeyes are pretty happy about that loss um, in general. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Wisconsin at 41. I'm going to say the the Badgers maybe are in a spot where they maybe don't climb Do out it. a third. Yeah. I, I think for top two spots are anyone's guess, but I think the Badgers might be pushing themselves a little bit too far. In fact, they're within a stone's throw right now of Duluth. Yes, they um, are. So that's a little bit interesting. Duluth is at 36. Mankato rounding out the start of the away seeds at number five, 22 points compared to 19 for St. Cloud and six. So the Huskies still a lot to play for here. St. Mm-hmm. Thomas at eight points, Bemidji State pulling up the rear at three points respectively. So a big weekend, obviously. Uh, Mankato traveling to Wisconsin um, Saturday, Sunday, like we mentioned. So we'll have those scores next week, as well as the Duluth-St. Thomas result from today. Then Minnesota travels to Duluth. That's a big matchup that... If you're a Huskies fan, I would say you're hoping for a gopher sweep there. I mean, yeah, I would uh, think so. then Mankato traveling to Ohio State, you would hope the Buckeyes get the job done. So you're hoping the top two seeds get the job done there. Wisconsin at St. Thomas, uh, I guess you're cheering for Wisconsin, I guess. Probably. I mean, you don't want St. Thomas. To, I mean, that's a six-point swing, though. We put St. Thomas within five points of St. Cloud if the Huskies were to, for whatever reason, drop both next weekend. They have Bemidji State Friday or Saturday. Um According to Nick Maxson, apparently Saturday is an important day for him. So, a bit. so uh, what 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 are the Huskies doing on that day, Nick? On the playing, women's side, they're playing on hockey day. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, will you can, will, will you be there or like in Cancun? Where will you be? Uh, <laughs> Cancun. <laughs> that actually would be nice too, considering the weather. Uh, no, I will be uh, on Bally Sports North uh, broadcasting that game. So uh, part of the hockey day Minnesota crew uh, certainly is uh, kind of surreal still um, to be 
you know, saying that out loud. Um, again, it's 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 a one-off game, but you know, I think you know w- when you grow up in uh, again, hockey day was in two thousand seven was the first one, I believe. Yeah, 06 or 07, um, I can't remember. Yep. Um, it's been around for a while. It's 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 a really unique event that takes place. I mean, regardless if it's any sport around the country, I mean, I don't think you have something similar like this to be a part of that broadcast crew and to, to be able to be part of that is is very um, humbling, very honoring to be a part of that. So it's a small <laughs> part of it, albeit, but um, excited to be a part of uh, that broadcast. Uh, it's a one o'clock puck drop on Saturday. Um, so if you if you can't go up to the Herbrooks National Hockey Center, which we will touch on more later yeah. about arenas, but uh, certainly turn in uh, to Bally Sports to, to catch the broadcast and uh, we'll see your Huskies win, hopefully. You know what? I just I had a random thought because you said, you know, uh, it's a one off sort of thing. So yeah. if Hockey Day Minnesota is, for example, in Rochester mm-hmm. and it's a one off, can the coaches walk into the locker room and say you're playing like this is a throwaway game up in Rochester because it's actually a one off in Rochester? I'm just I'm just asking. I mean, <laughs> you let you let the Norway tie you. So I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know what? You know, what's interesting. Spoiler alert for those who have watched Miracle. I know we've talked about this before, but um, if you don't want to hear a spoiler alert, you know, pause for five seconds. Um, You know, the whole Mikey Ruzioni seed, you know, Winthrop, Massachusetts, I played for the United States of America. Yeah, never happened. They got bag skated for almost 50 minutes and then just cut off the ice. Um, So there's your childhood ruined, unfortunately. Um, But with that being said, uh, speaking of childhoods being ruined maybe uh minnesota wild talk here <laughs> as we move on over uh not a great week for them all things considered although a pretty tough road swing let's be honest uh goal differential still doing all right though they only were dash one on the week so uh plus 15 overall uh 25 16 and four were um the minnesota wild at 54 points they are third in the central by a single point colorado was seven points back last sunday they played late last night i believe against seattle and one they are one point back with equal games right now so uh, if you're Minnesota, you got to take care of business here quickly. Washington was a 4-2 victory before a 5-2 loss in Carolina and a 5-3 loss in Florida last night. The la- one last night really hurt because they basically had like an AHL starter and like six guys out of the lineup. I mean, they should have capitalized in that game against the Panthers yesterday, and they did not. Uh, they have Tampa on the road on Tuesday before coming back home for Philly on Thursday, Buffalo on Saturday, and then a little bit of time off. I believe we're approaching the all-star weekend, Um, but they at least have three or four days off um, in the upcoming Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, maybe even Wednesday uh, after that. So five, three and two in their last 10. Uh, But well, let's start with the positive stuff. Um, Well, let's start with the negative stuff. There's only one negative thing. Uh, Carolina and Florida, notable name out of the lineup for both of those. Matt Dumba, a double Mm -hmm. healthy scratch here. Speculation about a trade that a lot of people say it's not going to happen. A lot of people say, of course, regardless, it's based on merit, based on play uh, in that game against Washington. Um, Dumba knows his time is nearing an end. You read the athletic and you can see he's pretty glum Mm -hmm. about the entire thing, trying to stay professional. But he he, he sees the writing on the wall here. Um, but if you're looking at the writing on the wall, if you're a wild fan, apparently it looks like hieroglyphics to a lot of people. What do you see? This was a test of that trade potentially, right? Uh, I I, thought, I thought somebody said there's only a 1% chance. You're right. I did because, (laughs) because the reality is they want what this signifies to me and and why I may be wrong last week is I, I know that Bill Guerin wants a defenseman back. 
that's what they want, right? Yeah. Really what this was with Goligoski is a test of, well, what if I can't get a defenseman back in this trade? That's yeah. what it is. So how, what does my defensive core look like with Matt Dumba out of the lineup? And shall we say it has, you know, if, so for those who give Matt Dumba crap and granted, sometimes he deserves it just like any other player, right? They make mistakes here and there. Right. Um, that, this, that, that goal by, um, uh, I can see his name. Uh, anyway, that goal that everyone was ripping him apart for on Tuesday was not his fault, by the way. He was Matt Zuccarello's guy. I mean, he could have helped, but like, yeah, let's just clarify that in case anybody missed that. I mean, it was not that one play was not the defining factor for him being out of the lineup. No, not at all. And and more of a defensive breakdown in that play in general. But well, that's, you know, neither here nor there. But that's that's what this is. Um, you don't trade a player right now. You have no reason to trade a player right now. Um, but I do think uh, you are testing the waters a bit. And I think there's concerns here, right? Uh, Goligoski is a sort of serviceable defenseman, but how serviceable when he's been scratched, you know, 26 or 27 times, right? Um, there's certainly his foot speed's a concern. Um, so you, you kind of wonder what Bill Guerin's thinking right now. So I don't know. Um, it, it's tough because I know that Minnesota Wild fans are never happy no matter what you give them. <laughs> so because here's the thing, you trade them away, they're happy. But then all of a sudden, Minnesota Wild might slip because, um, as we'll talk, Colorado has started to rebound because they're starting to get healthy bodies back. Um, and then they're going to be like, well, we should never trade him until afterwards. So then you wait and then, then he walks and then Wild fans will be whining that, oh, we let him walk for nothing. So it's like there's just no way to win with this <laughs> with this fan base. Right. Um, so I don't know. That's how I see it. I, I see it as, OK, it, it, they're not protecting him. I mean, come on. We know who he is. He's a tough guy. Um, he's a hockey player, albeit. Um, but this was more for Bill Guerin to see what this team looks like against, you know, formidable opponents again against Florida, who, despite their record, I think is better than what their record shows. Again, they've had some injury issues, Carolina. Um, so you're going up against what? Stanley Cup playoff type teams. And that was your result, right? So it, it's giving him something to think about. And you kind of wonder if the results of these last couple of games um, will um, change his mind in terms of whether he does want to pull a trigger in a trade prior to the de- uh, to that uh, to the deadline. And more so, if he does, does he really now need a defenseman return that can help in the lineup now, um, or is he in a situation where he goes, "Nope, the offer isn't good enough. I have to wait this out and maybe see what happens for agency." I think that's what this is all about. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm. I don't really know if I have a thought. I, like I could see it going both ways. Um, I, I think that there's. Again, we've made the case where Matt Dumba is a serviceable defenseman. And I think yeah. that if you hang on to him, I think you at least have to give him a look in free agency. I, I you know, but like you said, if a team like Ottawa comes at four and a half mil for three years, you don't you don't match that. You let him walk, right? But yeah, I think if exactly. you can get if you can get him at two point two, two point three for two or three years, I, I think it's something you pull the trigger on. I think he's still serviceable enough to create opportunities. Um, and more so, Noah. So, does that mean that you would rather keep him on the roster until the end of the season, or would you rather see him traded? I mean, I wouldn't mind keeping him because I don't know what the return is going to be based on the Wild's cap situation, right? Like you, like you mentioned. Um, and more so, just to I, play in the ice. That's my. Yeah, thing. I do think that we've moved from one percent trade possibility to I'm going to say I'm going to say fifteen. Yeah, 
percent somewhere around there maybe 20 if you want to get a little bit overzealous but uh yeah it's interesting i I still like him i like him as a player he's a great guy in the community which i know means absolutely nothing just ask jason zucker um yeah no kidding but you know at the same time it's like i think he's a good locker room guy i would love to see him stay in minnesota uh you know you can tell it means a lot to him i still think he's a good uh, number four defenseman, I think will be an appropriate mm-hmm. spot. You know, maybe number five is, you know, depending on what your decor looks like, but he's certainly a second pairing top third pairing. You know, he's right in that weird little window where it's like, he's good enough to be a second pairing defenseman and probably too could probably too good to be a third pairing defenseman kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, right in that little window. So it's, it's kind of interesting. I don't know what they're going to do with them, but I, we're going to have our answer. Uh, when is the trade deadline over anyway? March that's like, 2nd, something yeah, like that. Yeah, say we've got about a month and change. I, I was going to say, yeah. I was going to say like six weeks, maybe something like that, five weeks. About five um, weeks, yeah. So, uh, well, speaking of the passage of time though, Nick, um, was there anything else you wanted to add on that, by the way? No, uh, other than the fact that, you know, I, again, everybody likes those knee jerk reactions like, oh, he's going to be traded. You don't trade somebody January 22nd when you could wait till March 2nd and have someone overpay for him. Right. So you could get better value from him by waiting. There's no reason you trade him right now. You mean the same group of people who said that we should trade Kirill Kaprizov because he was asking for nine million a year? Those guys? Yeah, um, same. Yeah. The same one that says that. Uh, yeah. Blow it up. Uh, you know. Yeah. Speaking of which, though, Kirill Kaprizov is our next topic here. 100 goals for him in wild history. He sits 10th all time on that list. He is six behind Pierre-Marc Bouchard, seven behind Spurgeon, 10 behind Niederreiter, 11 behind Eric Stahl, 19 behind Andrew Brunette, 32 behind Jason Zucker before we really start to extend that list pretty heavily. 199 for Zach Parisi at third, 205 for Mikko Koivu, Marion Gabrick at 219. I would be shocked if Kaprizov does not end up at the top of this list that yeah. yeah he might he might get there um near well, the end of his contract yes. yeah <laughs> um as far as assistant points he's probably about 12 or 13th in assists and maybe about the same in points here uh matt dumba is at uh 10th with 155 assists kaprizov is 115 so he might be around like 15 12 to 15 somewhere around there i can only see to 10 where i'm looking right now and then points charlie Coyle has 242 he's at 10 kaprizov is at 215 so kind of gives you an idea the statistical leader for assists and points is miko koivu with both at 504 and 709 respectively so um and of course marion gabrick is the leader in goals at 219 like we mentioned so mm-hmm. i w- i have no doubt at least for goals Kirill kaprizov will get there um assist wise might be a bit tough 500 assists is a lot of assists yeah um it all depends on who he's going to have around him not that that's been a discussion of wild hockey um never at all some guy that will be there for a while though uh matt boldy 21 years of age seven by seven 49 million dollar extension for him he's really struggled i think he he before he scored yesterday it was like 12 straight games that he had gone without a goal um, he was lighting it up early in the season, but that's kind of how hockey goes. Sometimes you have this ebb and flow. He's kind of a streaky goal scorer at times. Um, you, I'm not as you, concerned though, Noah. And here's, yeah, here's do, do you like do you like the deal? I do, sort of. And here's why I say it. Um, <laughs> that, thanks. Um, and that's our show for the week. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, to your point about Boldy, um, he's been. I, I think he's been more snake bit. Um, not necessarily struggling. Uh, when I've watched his game. He's still creating a lot of offense. Uh, to me, he was getting chances, just maybe not capitalizing on a couple. So he was. It's not like he's been invisible offensively. Um, he's still he's so good at puck protection um, and, and and holding on to it and finding the right uh, the right play. But 
uh, yeah, I, I would like to see him obviously, you know, convert some of those chances. But here's the good. You lock up a really good young player that continues to to grow and develop for seven years. That's great. Yeah. Here's the bad. Um, the Wild and the NHL have a salary cap crunch. <laughs> so yeah. and then also next year, the uh, extra two million dollars for Zach Parisi, Ryan Cedar go up to the 14 million dollar uh, cap hit season and, starter, I guess one of two. And that's the argument why people say get rid of Matt Dumba because you alleviate six million dollars in cap space regardless and you're not worried mm-hmm. about re-signing him kind of thing. Well, and, and you know, to a degree, you know, a couple of factors that let's, let's talk about this, right? So you're banking on a couple of things. Um, and let's just say that they've already tried this and it failed. Why do I say that? You tried this with Marco Rossi. He's, I don't think he's going to come up to the big club the rest of the year. And he shouldn't, right? I don't think he showed that he was not ready yet. You're kind of putting that same pressure on guys like Kalen Addison. Uh, how about Brock Faber? Um, some guys that like are young guys that would be from a money perspective, much cheaper, but maybe are in a, in a position where they're young and they still have to adjust to the NHL game. So you're kind of rolling the, the dice a little bit here. Noah. Yeah. And Mar- so, Marco Rossi, uh, 20 points in 20 games, by the way, in case anyone's curious, seven right. goals, 13 assists plus four. So, so which is great. Cause he had those same kind of numbers when he was there last year at 53 and 63. So, right. So the, so the question is how is he getting those numbers? Right. And cause again, the big knock on, Three Rossi. power play goals. Um, from from Garen was, you know, he's just he's he's almost too nice. We need to see him, you know, be more of a bull with the puck. And so, um, I don't know. It, it's it's a tough situation. So, now granted, I'd rather have the bull the extension than not. I think a lot of people like myself are predicting a bridge deal to try to get past the next couple of years. But um, what could end up happening is this could be a very <laughs> good team friendly value if he continues to develop. And if he can get past those next uh, couple of seasons, then um, there's going to be a lot of money at stake for the Minnesota Wild. So, um, yeah. I don't know. What do you, I don't know. What, what's your thoughts on it? I, this, I like the deal. It's it could be very team friendly. If he, if he, yeah, if he continues to progress the way that he has, this could look like a steal after year three, right? I mean, yep. he's young. He's twenty one. Like, let's not forget that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, at year three, he'll be twenty four. Think about that. You know, I mean, it's crazy. It, it could be a very good deal for the Wild. I, I don't see any issues unless you have an injury bug that hampers him or his game just as. If we're talking about throwaway games in Rochester, if his game just goes to hell, right? <laughs> you know, not, so it's not going to do that. So, yeah. Um, but I'm sure he'd like to stay because they're a family. Okay. Enough with the miracle references. <laughs> but uh, um, I, I did watch it last week. It's been a while, actually, but I still got the quotes down. No worries. Um, but with that being said, I, the Wild here, uh, kind of an interesting little stretch. I think they need a pretty good push through the next week before they have some serious time off here. Uh, of course, mm-hmm. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, as usual, the last two at home against Philly and Buffalo. They're in Tampa Bay on Tuesday at Amelie Arena. Of course, the future site of the Frozen Four here in the college hockey world this season. So that will do it for the main portion of the show. You are not going to want to miss the extra ice session. We have a lot to dive into here related to all things college hockey. Welcome into the Extra Ice Session, episode 146 here. The Den, Huskies Warming House Podcast. Noah Grant, I'm over here. Uh, Nick Maxson, hey, how you doing? Good good to see you wave for the fans here. I, I like to see it. A, a happy Nick Maxson is a good Nick Maxson, although um, we'll see if that's at the dinner table or not. But uh, <laughs> uh, speaking of eating well, though, how about the, the St. Thomas Tommies here? Uh, almost a uh, little over $135 million that they're trying to put together. Uh, their new barn is pretty much 
relatively set in stone. Um, relatively. Hopefully um, set to break ground here soon. But uh, uh, yeah, it, from what we can see, uh, it looks a, nice. Beautiful. Um, so a couple of things to note, right? Uh, first of all, they, they were looking at the Ford, uh, the old Ford plant uh, property again um, on the river that um, was not ideal, although it had the space. Uh, so what this um, what this arena does is, first of all, $75 million private gift, uh, one yeah. of the largest private gifts to a university um, in United States history. Um, Penny and Lee Anderson um, Arena. So $75 million gift. So that gives them over half of the total cost. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I suppose that would give you naming rights, huh? Yeah, a little bit. Um, and even more importantly, it's on campus, right? So, and I think that was important to the university. Um, so probably part of the price tag, you know, going up as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, set to break ground next January. Um, I know they're trying to get it ready for the 2025 season. Um, I think that's a stretch, maybe closer to 2026. But who knows? It's a mixed facility, Noah. So it's both basketball as well as hockey uh, for that price tag. Probably makes more sense. And again, St. Thomas's campus, not say was the most expansive campus. So it probably made sense to do a joint venture like that. But from the run result, I mean, it looks gorgeous. A lot of limestone, again, um, keeping with the theme of the St. Thomas uh, campus. Um, but yeah, it would be nice to just be able to you know write a check for $75 million. So yeah. Go ahead and build it, right? Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a beautiful arena. Um, you know, when you look at Augustana, there are opportunities there. Of course, UConn getting a new building, Sacred Heart's new 4,000-seat arena is, is really pretty. So, uh, yeah, good changes in the college hockey world. Um, some that maybe some view that might not be good changes. We'll get to that in a few moments here uh, mm-hmm. after related to one of our NCHC foes. But, yeah, you kind of wonder, uh, and we've talked about this, and we'll allude to it again, St. Thomas could end up in the NCHC in the next five years. Let's just oh, be gosh, honest yeah. with that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to relate to our next conversation with Miami. But, um, I mean, that, like that's we don't say that to just speculate. I mean, there's serious rumblings, and it would make sense financially, the NCHC. I mean, it's all about money in the end. And, and St. Thomas has shown they have money now. And more importantly, where they're located. Yeah, no kidding. And now... Mm-hmm. Um, Speaking of money, let's talk about our St. Cloud State Huskies and their particular building, the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. I, I thought it would be interesting to maybe do this exercise because, Nick, this is a, a show topic that you would kind of pose, and, and I really liked it. And um, what's interesting, you know, you had posed the question, does the Herbrooks National Hockey Center need to make changes, upgrades, those sorts of things to stay pad? And we talked about the need for upgrades versus a new building, um, that, that university in St. Cloud I don't know how it is as of recent, but as of a couple of years ago, if you want the honest scoop, they're hemorrhaging money left and yeah. right. Um, yes, part of are. the reason why that football program was cut, um, attendance was really poor, especially over COVID. Let's not forget, 10 years ago, the average enrollment was 17 to 18,000 people on that campus. When you and I were there, we were at about 11 to 12. Mm-hmm. During COVID, they were at about 5,500. Um, they would barely yeah. fill the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. Um, that kind of gives you an idea of where they were at. Um so I don't know if they've rebounded a little bit. I, I from what I hear, I think they have at least a little bit, um, Slightly, yeah. just because of COVID. But um, with that being said, money is tight here, and we talked about yeah. upgrades and those sorts of things. But before we get to that, how about this? Where does the Herbrooks National Hockey Center rank as far as NCHC buildings here? Um, I, I think in the bottom three. Yeah, yeah. I, I would tend to agree with you. I think um, number one might be a bit easy. Um, yep. Could it be Ralph Engelstad? It probably is. Yeah. Um, 
Number two here, I know we have a couple of new buildings. I'm going to go with Baxter Arena in Omaha. So it's either Baxter or it's going to be M-Soil. One of yeah, those two. Um, yep. I, I think Baxter looks pretty good just because uh, size. And obviously, we saw in the pod, they just a lot of facilities that work the right way. Um, the capabilities of that arena. Uh, I'm surprised they haven't, you know, and they could be a future, depending on the future of the NCAA tournament. They could be yeah. a neutral site host for that. Yeah, um, really could. And I would, I would be an advocate of it. I think the only thing that hampers them is just the weird arrangement of their benches. Yeah, I think it's the only thing that's odd. Amsoil, I think, would be next. Then I would say Ed Robson. Rep Robson for sure. Yeah. Then Miami, I would yep. think, would be after that. Then Kalamazoo. Yep, Kalamazoo. And then St. Cloud. St. Cloud, and then who? Who are we missing? Or wait, is that only seven? That's seven. North Dakota. Yep. Omaha. Yep. Uh, Duluth. Yes. CC. Yep. Who are we missing? Why Why do we not know our teams? Hang oh, on. my gosh. Denver. Hang Magnus on. Arena. Denver. Denver. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Magnus is kind of an old building. I would say Miami, then Magnus. I would say Magnus would probably be six. Miami has a nice little barn. Yeah. Um, they just don't fill it. Um, yeah. Then Magnus at six. Um, and then Kalamazoo and the Herb are probably. Probably the bottom two. Yeah, yeah. Right next to each other. I don't know which is which. Kalamazoo is a bit of an old building too. The Lost and Lunatics like to play that to their advantage. I would say the Herbrooks National Hockey Center at seven and then maybe Kalamazoo at eight just because the seating I think is still bench seating. Mm-hmm. Um, not that the Herbrooks National Hockey Center isn't, but I think Kalamazoo is like all wooden bench seating. Right. Um, and it's kind of an older building that has some serious quirks. But again, that goes back to our point, And this is not to rip on, you know, St. Cloud and the Herbrooks National Hockey Center staff. We met them, the Zam drivers, that sort of thing. They do a great job and they understand the challenge that they're they're up against and that they're fantastic. And this is not taking anything away from them and the work that they do. But the reality of the situation is St. Cloud within the next decade to 15 years is going to have to make a decision and going to have to do something earlier the, than that. The question is, what is that? It, does do the Huskies? Yes. They, I would say you and I agree with the previous question. They need to do something to upgrade yeah. continually. If you're that university, do you spend $20 million in upgrades or do you try to bite the bullet and fundraise and get a new building, which you would have the additional challenge of finding land that's, that building. Well, you, you you can just gut the football stadium at this point. Yeah, sure. Um, and so I have a couple of ideas. So first of all, that decision is not going to take that long. And I'll, and I'll say why, because it's been more than documented that the, the inner workings of Herb Brooks, meaning the compressors are nearing the end of their life. Yeah. So here's, so I, I think you're going to see a max five years because look at Mariucci. Mariucci is... They're going to a hybrid rank. They're making their own changes to uh, reduce the width of their rank. Um, St. Cloud has proposed a similar reconfiguration once those go down. Here's my thing. I think you need to take that as an advantage because, again, it's so old. There's going to be so much work that has to be done. We talked about the water table issues and where they're at. Yeah. You know, they're, they're they're at a point. And, and mind you, let's not forget, um, in 2013, the big atrium, you know, renovation, right? Um, the, the locker rooms, the weight room um, have all had uh, some, you know, renovations. In fact, you know, a lot of support for those renovations. They've done work again, the new uh, scoreboards and the sound speakers. There's still soundproofing that they're trying to do, right? But yeah. overall, the fan experience has remained largely the same. And that's where uh, Herb Brooks has really faltered, right? Um, I think 
you're in a bad spot here if you're at St. Cloud in the university because you almost have to, I don't want to say a bank, but you kind of have to almost hope that, okay, if these compressors go, you're going to have to almost take this to the state government. Yeah. Just like how they had to for to get the Herb Rex National Hockey Center built, right? And, and propose and they, like, hey, we, it's not just compressors. We have all this other stuff that needs to be done. Can we get help with this? It's going to be a hard sell, but it's going to have to happen sooner yeah. than later. It really does. And I'm not sure, again, with all the work that has to be done, Noah, you're right. I think the big question for the university is, you know, are we really at this point where we have to consider a new building? Problem is you're only about 11 years since that big atrium that was was built out in front of it. I don't think you want to let that go to waste. Right. But there has to be a lot of work done on the inside of that building uh, to get it up to, to par. And I don't know. That's a tough one. What What's your thoughts? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I think that for sure, I mean, like the new building, you know, you want to kind of sit with the times a little bit. I think about like, for example, the press box where the media is, wouldn't you love to, if you're going to keep that building, wouldn't you like to expand the walls, put a power band up there and maybe some additional seating up top and maybe some suites press boxes up there, similar to what's on the other side. Like you like to do something uh, mm-hmm. with it. If you're going to keep that, like you mentioned, the chillers are getting old. I think the, the, the more primary issue is that whatever fluid is used for those chillers is Dis- doesn't don't make it anymore. It's discontinued. Yeah. So dig up the entire thing. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of, it's an interesting challenge, obviously. I, I think the other piece of this too, is that, you know, who do you feel is going to fork up the money? Obviously, St. Thomas had some great donors here, but you're going to have to have some incredible marketing schemes and that sort of thing. Like It's crazy to think. We're talking about a top three team in college hockey right now potentially having arena issues or not having a place to play, depending on if something mm-hmm. crazy happens in the next right. five years. And that's where um, I don't really know what the answer is. I like the idea with the football field in the sense that the football field for those who have been on campus, it's actually right off of where the weight room and center is. And it's actually right off of where the rink is, where the practice rink is it primarily is the end that it's on. You could definitely do something with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that certainly, you know, even if you decided to build an essentially a new building and joint it with that, it would take a trek to get into the building. I think that your entrance would have to be on the, oh, what would that be? The west side, essentially the, the curvy yeah. street coming up. So your parking lot would remain the same and you'd have to walk essentially up that little hill and make the entrance through where that little alley is, which normally is where which the is an ideal, which is normally where the visiting teams uh, potentially go in on the backside. If mm-hmm. you're doing that um, or on the other side, you'd make the entrance where the football field is, where people walk into the football games and mm-hmm. where the far parking lots are next to where the river is. But again, you're limited by the river. I mean, that's right. that's the other challenge. So I, I think that. And here's it is the other possible, thing right now, too, is you could, do we just move it back on campus? Do you move it because there's a bunch of those old dorm buildings that are vacant right now? Do you yeah. move it more on campus would, because would of be, the water table issue, right? Yeah, it would be a nightmare as far as uh, um, parking um, and getting people in and out of that. No, because you got a parking ramp there. That you could utilize. Yeah, but you have to drive. You have to drive into the university, which when when you're when you're entering and exiting in there to get to that parking ramp. I mean, you have to drive in there. So I, I think that, that that would be kind of a nightmare. But what I was going to say is that if you put it somewhere else, football field or otherwise, that gives you a chance where if you really have money as well too, you can remodel the main building 
with mm-hmm. water table issues into something that's serviceable as two rinks for the community. Um, that practice mm-hmm. rink has been serviceable for that and the main sheet too. But I mean, maybe you redo the entire floor in there. Um, does that defeat the purpose of, of it? Of, but maybe, but it's like, you know, it's something to think about. Cause at some point, like if you build a new rink, that big building is suddenly dormant. Like at some point you'd like to do something with it and use it still. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a great facility. So maybe St. John's has an interest in privately fundraising and making that their building. St. Cloud Norseman, for example, have an opportunity there too. And, I, and maybe that's what you do, right? Is maybe you pull, yeah. well, but here's the thing, uh, junior teams move, right? Yeah, the Norsemen uh, do not have money. They are no, very, they yeah. Um, uh, but St. John's, um, maybe, Right. And, and one thing about the St. Thomas concept, too, and I'm going to go in a bit of a limb here, because yeah. if you remember, Amsoil up in Duluth also is a joint basketball and hockey arena. Yeah. Um, do you blow up Hallow McCall? Yeah, which is not a, anything to shout about. All no. considered. Yeah. And do you, you know, get money from St. John's? And because they can, they share the facilities uh, with St. Cloud for hockey and maybe basketball. Do you just you know, and, and the reason why I'm pre- um, um, presenting this, Noah, is that I just I, I think we can both realistically agree that a new building is almost out of the question. Almost, I, I think. And here's why I say that. Yes, there's a lot of work that has to be done and it would require a lot of it's from to use a Vancouver Canucks trim. It will require more than minor surgery. We'll put it to that way. <laughs> could, uh, you, could you add a baseball field and put the St. Cloud rocks in there, too? You, you could. Um, you know, I'm just going to make the going to make the roof high enough. Um, but, you know, <laughs> <Yikes>. <laughs> but but at the same time, Noah, like the, the thing is, is that the university is hemorrhaging student enrollment which means yeah. if you're the state government why would you be willing to invest money in a building that you may not get a return on investment right so you yeah. are in the worst of all worst spots now for the nchc here's what's funny st cloud in the broadcast program has set the standard for what the nchc is trying to do and a bigger reason why on the second part of our extra ice of why maybe that could be yeah, you know, a, a positive thing, and and hockey is the pinnacle program on that campus. I mean, it's it's the D one program. That and wrestling are the two programs that take the cake there. So, Correct. so you know, I, I don't know. So it, it's a complicated matter. Um, I, I think we both agree that there has to be something done, whether it's recruiting, mm-hmm. you know, just from the university's competitive stance, um, for the fan experience. Again, the the seats, you know, are are way beyond their lifespan. Um, you know, just, it's, it's just, it's way behind. Right. And you, if, if, unless something's done relatively soon and relatively in terms of a new building, I mean, you're, you're looking at this point, 10 year plan, right. Even if you started yeah. doing something now, which I think why we're bringing this up is you, I, if you, you're, you're at a point where it has to start happening. You have yeah. to start advocating for something. They they could always play at Mullet Arena. It seems like, seems like everybody else does. Um, right. Anyway, with that being said, let's move on to our last topic here, which does relate to the NCHC and all the issues that we've kind of outlined here. A very interesting article. Uh, author is 5B West coming from letsgodu.com, which of course is primarily Denver University stuff, but they do some really good reporting on mm-hmm. there's some really good writers there. And they're commenting on an article, a blog article from View from the Glass, um, where they interviewed Miami Athletic Director David Saylor. Um, so let's kind of talk about some of the things here. At first, they talked about other conferences like the Summit League and the MAC, the Mid-American Conference. Would those ever become 
things in addition to hockey, how would the NCHC handle that? But then mm-hmm. kind of devolved into some things, which some things were okay. I totally get it. And other things were like, hmm, that's interesting. So let's start about the things that maybe make sense. He talked about concerns about regional dependence on Minnesota schools, along with North Dakota for the frozen faceoff, which of course is, is primarily held in St. Paul. And is it a he, concern though? <laughs> it's, it, it's interesting. He made this point at first. I was like, okay, whatever BS. But then he kind of talked about it and it was interesting. He said, he said, this year's season can sometimes be a doomsday scenario because non-regional schools like Denver, Omaha, CC are suddenly having success, which would theoretically drive away attendance for frozen face-off if they're all successful. Like if it's CC yep. versus Omaha for the championship game. And I kind of thought about it and I'm like, I think the NCHC would support it enough to where they would have fan interest. But at the same time, like he's not totally off base there. Like it's no, not... He's actually 100% right because yeah. for folks who think that, you know, the NCHC generates revenue from other sources, they do, but primarily it's the Frozen Four, which is where they get the majority of their yeah. revenue. And let's be, let's be real. Face. You know, you know, it is a, a, a disaster scenario. What if North Dakota doesn't make the Frozen Faceoff? Mm-hmm. Think about how well North Dakota travels. Yep. You know, so like that's that's a big issue. Um, So... Yeah, like he kind of has the point there. So I think that's interesting. And you look at Miami on the outside looking in. The, the conversation that we've had um, is that Miami and Western would probably be the two teams that would probably travel back to the CCHA. And mm-hmm. you would likely welcome in St. Thomas and maybe another club. I would say it would be a Minnesota club. I would think it would be like Augustana, Man- Augustana Mankato. It won't be Bemidji because they don't have the no. money. Um, no. But there's no other group that I can see except there was a conversation about potentially adding a team like Arizona state and for Miami, according to their uh, carrying to the, well, that's good. Cause that's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, he, Miami talked about that's a deal breaker for them. They said there's been constant chatter about ASU. And he said, I have no interest in crossing another time zone to play sports. So if the league is continuing to push in that direction, that is going to cause us to think differently about what's going on, which of course people said, ironically, they're going down <laughs> to Mullet Arena to play the Sun Devils. But okay, obviously that's a, that's a one-off trip for them that I'm assuming they budgeted for and planned for and that sort sure. of thing. Yeah. But here's the other thing that I think is interesting about this conversation and Miami talking about it's a deal breaker um, in terms of those, those things. Number one, Nick, let's say you're playing any team in the NCHC. Mm-hmm. You're on the road and you're going to play them. Mm-hmm. How many games and how many weekends do you play that team in their own building? One. One weekend, two games. So my thought is, yes, it's an expensive travel thing, but like you're not like you're not in a pod down at Mullet Arena. Like you, you go mm-hmm. for one weekend. Now, yep. I'm not an advocate for bringing Arizona State into the NCHC. Do I agree? ASU definitely needs a conference. They're a great hockey team. 100%. 100%. I think the NCHC is not their their prerogative. Like it's not their vein of what they want to be as a program. We've talked about the expansion west into college hockey and probably UCLA, Oregon, maybe creating their entire conference. I see them as a Big Ten team before I see them as an NCHC team, although I don't know how the parameters of that would work based on the other aspects of their school. I don't see them as an NCHC team just because it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense at that point. They're probably CCHA before they're NCHC just because of location. Mm, I don't know about that, but here's what I do. We has one thing we actually agree with Arizona state. I'm going to actually do a hot take here. 
they're never going to be in the NCHC. And here's yeah. why. This is a pawn move by yeah. the NCHC. This yeah. is 100 because here's here's what we think we know. There's been rumblings, as you mentioned, about Miami. And again, you talk about St. Cold Hemorrhaging Money. Miami's worse yeah. um, in terms of their financial situation. And, and their program has struggled. There's been question marks about Chris Bergeron. Year four of a seven-year contract, and they're thinking he might be on the way out. Yeah. Um, it, again, no results, right? Um, so not only that, but there's been... It seems to be... I don't know if you want to call it a campaign, but there seems to be a manufactured narrative here to try to allow Miami to back out of its own deal because you got to remember the conference at any time could buy out a team and would cost every team a certain amount of money. But if you throw a narrative out there that says, we're going to bring in St. Thomas and Arizona State and, and they decide it. to back out themselves. And see how they react to the conversation. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I think mm-hmm. there is actually some... I think this is a manufactured type thing just to see where they're at because it's again, it's it's no secret what the NCHC thinks of Miami in terms yeah. of the back. It's just it's no secret. And that's not anything against the players or the coaches or the university itself. It's just a matter of the NCHC feels, let's just be frank, that they're kind of an anchor. And the the other problem with Miami too is so let's let's put a comparison. Colorado College was in this spot for a long time. Yes, they were. The thing with CC is they're on the western side of the country. Miami is right smack at dab in the middle where you can put them in the CCHA. You could put them, I guess, in the ECAC or yeah. Hockey East. You technically could. I don't think those those <laughs> those Makes conferences sense, need, no. need any more teams, but. Um, you know, they're, you're not going to put them in the Big Ten because they haven't had the program success. Or if you do, there better be a formidable plan to make them good, similar to Penn State when they first came in kind of thing. Um, but that's the thing is we all know who the first team to go, like you said, will be and right yeah. now. It's Miami because Miami was in this spot where they were a highly successful program right at the turn of when the NCHC became. The NCHC celebrating its its 10th anniversary, right? Um, back in 2012, 2013, I mean, they were 48 seconds away from winning a national championship. Yeah. And then they, they've devolved into what they are now. And like you said, this is nothing against the program, the players, that sort of thing, but they haven't been good. That's, that's the same conversation we've had about the Arizona Coyotes at the National Hockey League level. Do you build a new arena or do you realize they haven't been good and do they need to just move? And right. I, I never really thought about it that way because I, I agree with your point in the sense that Arizona State is not coming to the NCHC because logistically with travel and all those things, it just it doesn't just doesn't make sense. Make sense. Like no. you, you, you're better off bringing St. Thomas or Mankato into the fold and then saying, oh, well, ASU can go to the CCHA until we figure out what to do with them kind of thing. Like that just makes more sense. The travel wouldn't be any better, but the NCHC compared to the CCHA is – money laden in comparison yes. right so right. Yeah. um and asu would bring a lot of profit but i i think beyond that i never really thought about it like that but it, it is kind of an interesting point where it's like well let's see what miami does and western michigan would be not to say they they would go because there is a scenario there in which they wouldn't and st thomas jumps in and that's that um yeah. but they could be the unfortunate casualty where they are a team that is good enough to compete or you keep western and like 
I guess CC or Omaha is the only other two that you would even get a look at. But I think with Baxter Arena, I think there's no way you want to give that no. up. And Omaha has been a great school. So there's no other school that I can see moving in that regard. And here's the thing. If you have Omaha, Denver, CC, you have three teams in the vicinity of each other. So that to me makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, I think the bigger the bigger ploy here is St. Thomas, right? The NCHC has been eyeing the Twin Cities market for a very, very long time. There's no question about that. Um, there's no question that part of the $135 million that broadcasting is going to be part of that. That's the one thing about the NCHC and where their revenue is maybe not getting back to what they're putting in is um, there's no consistency right now in their broadcast um, between Duluth, North Dakota, St. Cloud. It's a big difference uh, in terms of how those games are produced. If they can get it on a broadcast can, you know, like basically a, a standard effectively, yeah. um, that's going to help the NCAT market their product be better for the NCAT.tv. Yeah. But that, again, as we know, Noah, broadcasting technology, that's not cheap. Yeah. But with St. Thomas, again, you capture the Twin Cities market, you don't give a damn. And to me, I think you're right. I think it's more of a one-for-one swap right now. I think if, if you've got St. Thomas, you capture the Twin Cities market and you're competing against the Gophers, I don't really think you need to worry about Western Michigan as much as you do Miami. You know, and it's interesting. You look at the smart play by CC, right? New Jersey's new head coach, good recruits, new building, right? Things brand, are, new, brand new building. Yeah. That's gorgeous. Yes. And the, the success this year will certainly help them tenfold. You know, to kind of wrap everything up, you know what program actually needs to be on their toes here, especially if St. Thomas comes into the fold? Who? It's St. Cloud. Yeah. St. Cloud, it like yep. needs to do something because like you mentioned, the broadcasting program is exceptional, but at the same time, that's between that and the good hockey, that's, that's all they've got. And this is where we brought up the attendance issues against teams like CC. You have to fill that building if you're a Huskies fan. You have to be there because this is where if you're the NCHC and you're looking at a program, now granted, St. Cloud has saved themselves by being a perennial contender, right? Yeah. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that they're totally unexpendable. Don't tell me St. Cloud has money in their pocket left and right to pay the NCHC if a bigger player comes calling here. So yeah. this is where if you're the Huskies faithful, you've got to push to that point because Duluth's not going anywhere. Their building is nope. relatively new, great program, storied history, NCAA championships. Okay. North not going North Dakota runs the NCHC. Let's yes, be let's realistic. Be yep. Okay. CC, we just talked about them. Denver, perennial contender, old building, probably has a bit more money tucked away than we like to give them credit for. They have plenty of money. Yes. NCAA championships. Omaha, same way. Great facility, great medical facility next to there. Can host a pod, great broadcasting features. Have have the extracurriculars, regardless of ice play, to validate them. Miami, we talked about. Western Michigan draws great crowds every weekend. They like, like they, they're doing their part in the attendance issue. That leaves one other group, mm -hmm. and that is the Huskies here. And this is where we have to – we talked about the arena piece as well, too. It goes beyond that, but St. Cloud, there's a lot of things. If you're a Huskies fan, I know – Fans like to bitch and moan on Twitter about a lot of things related to Huskies hockey. This is where I think the Huskies Warming House podcast is going to jump on that and push things the other direction towards the fans and say, this is where if you want to advocate, this is what We're you want. This is what you have to advocate for here. Um, so I think St. Cloud is safe for now, but don't get too comfortable if things start 
moving. If I, yeah. for example, if Augustana comes in and has a really successful program, St. Cloud is not even take the, that. Yeah, they may if, not even take that because well, again, brand new building. Yeah. Um, that university has money. Yeah, St. Cloud's only an hour away from the Twin Cities. You capture St. Thomas, all bets are off. You know what I yeah. mean? So um, I think it's exciting that the NCHC would bring in a team like St. Thomas. But I think if you're the Huskies fans, one St. Cloud's got to stay good. They've got to stay relevant. That's Brett Larson's prerogative, right? Obviously, year in and year out, but even more so because of that. Yeah. Um, because if they start to stumble and new players come in with bigger chips at the poker table, Things are going to get really interesting. Anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up the show? It's even more dire than that because, and here's why it's the building not only signifies, you know, what the university is capable of. It's also a a signal of what the program is capable of, right? One of the big things that Bob Motzko, who has not gotten the enough credit that he has is he did, he built a lot of his teams with little to no scholarship money. Yeah. Little to none. And St. Thomas is going to have a plethora of that. Uh, Augustana is going to have a plethora of that, right? So not only you talk about, well, what's the Achilles heel, a competitive St. Cloud squad? Well, now you're competing with that St. Cloud arena, which, or sorry, the St. Thomas arena, which is going to be a recruiting point. Same with Augustana. The, the, yeah. it, the time for action is now. It yeah. really, really is. Yeah, and you thought removing the old WCHA was bad. Um, anyway, yeah. with that being said, speaking of uh, the new WCHA, that would be the NCHC, and all things related to that, of course, men's hockey traveling up to Duluth this weekend, women's hockey, Hockey Day Minnesota, Bemidji State, a couple of big matchups for them. Minnesota Wild have Tampa, Philadelphia, and Buffalo. And don't forget, like I mentioned, Hockey Day Minnesota is this upcoming Saturday. Nick Maxson will be on Valley Sports for the women's game. You won't want to miss that. I'll be at home on my couch eating some popcorn, surely. Uh, with that being said, for Nick Maxson, I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the den. And your one-timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies, a long in for a chance to win it, he scores! Kirill the Thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner! St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.